Hey everybody, it's uh, your party host here, Dave Ryan, just hopping in before the show with a quick apology, uh, both for the show being a day late and for some of the kind of audio hiccups that you're going to experience during the pod this week. Nothing too major, I just kind of sound like I'm recording the show over Skype, which I wasn't. We were using the same recording setup as always, but for some reason, the show this week with myself and special guest co-host Jack Lazell seemed to have been fucking cursed, and even though we did all our tests beforehand to make sure the sound levels were fine, somehow my side kind of came out a bit garbled, but you could still clearly hear um what i'm saying it's just kind of it's not the audio quality we'd prefer to have on the program so my apologies for that and um because of that we had kind of delayed the show for a day in an attempt to kind of fix things and get things re-uploaded and edited together so my apologies for that uh but please do enjoy uh, episode 89 of link to the cast i thought it was a pretty good one and hopefully you will too episode 89 from link to the cast.eu available on all your favorite podcasting platforms apple Podcasts, soundcloud podcast addict or stitcher i'm your party host dave ryan and i'm joined this week uh, again not by mark robinson who is still away on assignment we have brought back the, the returning the defending co-host of this podcast the roman reigns of audio that is jack lazell jack how are you I'm very good, thanks, mate. Uh, I like the idea that I'm going to have to defend this position against yeah, Mark. Against all covers. I also like the idea that we're able to get uh, two weeks in a row of you uh, on Link to the Cast, the, the, the podcast you don't co-host, and the two of us can't get our act together to record our own podcast that both of us are on all the time, two weeks in a row. Yeah, the Which Away Goals podcast. The Away sister Goals podcast. Pod. Yeah, on Link Indeed. to the Cast's podcast network. <laughs> <laughs> the ever-expanding podcasting network how's your week been my friend yeah it's not been bad i mean i just feel like i need to ask you say mark's away on assignment what does that mean like has he gone inside again for something <laughs> i i i think the, uh, the the court case is still ongoing so i'm not actually allowed to talk about active legal proceedings on the pod but yeah, uh know. you know we're, we're all hoping it'll be okay we're all hoping you know if the love doesn't fit you must acquit um, is what Absolutely. is a phrase we've been going with in, in Cam Robinson at the moment. So it was the wind that blew up those petticoats, wasn't it? <laughs> How has your week been? Legal proceedings aside, <laughs> yeah, not not too bad, thanks, mate. I've been playing an awful lot of a certain video game that we may may oh. or not talk about at some point during this podcast. Have you have you seen? But besides that, there's been a lot of kind of like um, 
uh, stuff out like it was a big week for kind of pop and nerd culture have you dipped into any have you been to the cinema have you seen that on, on the television because I'm heading towards a television discussion <laughs> in a couple of seconds I think <laughs> I feel like I've been pre-interviewed like I'm on tonight's show with Jimmy Fallon or something it's like yeah I'm just gonna <laughs> nudge believe, you down I, there I believe you have a story about a, a, a golf ball in Bermuda is it <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I'm really hungry at the moment. You know what? I like tangerines. So I've heard you've got a story about tangerines, awkward segue. <laughs> um, so I saw Thor Ragnarok, um, yeah. which is a film I know you saw as well. Twice had an now. A- Twice. Wow, hardcore. Uh, had an absolute blast. It's genuinely laugh out loud funny, which is a lot more than you can say for the first two Thor films, which I enjoyed as well but in a very different way. Uh, mm-hmm. Tackle Waititi absolutely nailed it. Um, you know, co-conspirator with those Flight of the Concords lot, and there's definitely a lot of the uh, deadpan humour on display in places, and yeah, it's just a great action film and good bit of comedy and sets up nicely going into the Infinity War with a little bit of what happened in the mid credit scene. Yeah, I think um, is it is possibly the the outright funniest of all the Marvel movies so far. Because like for me, it's it's probably it's oh, that or the original Guardians, Guardians one, and, yeah. and also Ant Man. Ant Man is you know, Ant Man's kind of like a sleeper Marvel film because I don't yeah. think it did particularly great at the box office, but no, it, it was really funny, and it was also it came out mired in the whole you know this is basically a zombie Edgar Wright movie that was raised from the dead by Adam McKay when he came in to finish it off. Yeah, um, and I mean, a lot of people were saying that the original script was like the funniest thing that they'd, they'd read from yeah. anything related to Marvel or comic book films, which that's kind of a shame. We didn't get to see his uh, his his vision of that. But the uh, oh, So Paul Wright obviously smashes it, but what's the name of his um his accomplice the mexican guy because he oh, was um michael pena michael pena michael pena was unbelievably funny in that yeah. film absolutely he, loved he was it. great and but, it definitely still had the, the dna of an edgar wright film about it like it very much felt like that could have been you could interchange them with simon pegg and nick frost if you closed your eyes yeah, definitely. Have you ever seen Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost acting out a scene from Star Wars, like the first scene where uh, R2 and, and C-3PO are on Tatooine, like, rolling along? Uh, no, I haven't. Good. Uh, it's very funny. I think it's on College Humor, very strangely, or, like, Funny or Die or something. But, yeah, they basically... Stop. They're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna do the whole film just those two guys, <laughs> and they can't get past the first scene because they have a massive fallout <laughs> and have a fight with each other. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, I saw this week. I watched uh, as I was playing a certain game that we'll be talking about shortly. I, I binged the entire second season of Stranger Things. St. Two. Uh, Big one. Indeed. Uh, no spoilers. Don't worry. You don't have to uh, adjust your dials for a few minutes or anything like that. Uh, have you seen... <laughs> because everyone's <laughs> listening on 50s wirelesses. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the cordless, the cordless radio in the kitchen. Um, have you seen Stranger Things 2 yet? Or are you, you're, you're a Stranger Things guy, aren't you? you I, I like the first series. Do you know what? It's one of those things where you kind of don't want to speak out too much if you have a different opinion on it than everyone else i liked it but i didn't like i didn't love it and i feel like there's yeah. a lot of cult following around the show i think it's a yeah. it's a good show 
and it's like the relationship between the kids is actually my favorite part it's just like yeah. kind of when they're interacting with each other so all the supernatural stuff it's like ah you know like cool but i just when the kids are just being kids and stuff I, I, that's my favorite part mm. Um, can, can you tell that Kevin Smith is my favorite director? I know, right? <laughs> um, but Stranger Things 2 kind of like picks up um, the, the year after all that had happened, kind of like how everyone's putting their lives back together and then kind of like obviously more strange things happen um, that kind of like fundamentally shift some of those relationships and, and, and kind of shake how people are trying to cope and, and get over things. But like I think, again, yeah, when you go down to, to sit down and watch it it's another great o- ensemble cast thing like it's great to see Winona Ryder in stuff again you know because she's yeah, great she was, she's really cool I like Winona Ryder like I, she had some troubles but indeed. it's good to see about do you know what my favourite Winona Ryder performance is and this is probably going to be quite a weird one can I guess go, go ahead because I don't think you're going to get it is it Heather's no, but that is oh. probably my favourite Winona Ryder film. Yes, that's a great and movie. And Christian, Christian Slater as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That is a good film. But what is your favourite Winona Ryder performance? And you're going to seriously, you're gonna, there's going to be a reaction from me when I say this, but I love her. Is it, is it her. in CCTV footage? <laughs> yeah, when she was robbing that place. <laughs> Kleptomaniac, I believe that film was Which, called. Funnily enough, someone was pointing out that, like, uh, in that video, she was robbing Mark Jacobs stuff from a Mark Jacobs store, and last week she got unveiled as one of the new faces of Mark Jacobs, so it's all come full circle now. Oh, fantastic. They need to do a poster with her, like, pocketing something, and it's like, no, Renona, you don't need to do that because of our new low, low prices. Yes, Mark Jacobs, so good, Winona can't help herself. Exactly, like, yeah, like, the police are leading her away and she's dropping, like, all of their key items for the next season. But no, I loved her in Mr. Deeds. Yes! Which... Her and, um... Oh, God, I'm blanking. Um... Uh... Adam Sandler. No, not Adam Sandler. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Dude, the Jesus from Big Lebowski. Uh, he's in Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Um, oh, yeah, I know who you mean. The guy who plays the butler in it. Like, Winona Ryder and, and yeah. him. Yeah, oh, like, the they, Spanish guy. Yeah, yeah, they saved the, the, oh, the, the film for me. Yeah, he's brilliant, yeah. Because he, like, just sneaks up on people yeah. the whole time. Very sneaky, sir. Very, very sneaky, sir. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I don't know what it is about that film. I don't love the film, except that I do love it, and <laughs> I try and say that I don't love it, and then I watch it, and I'm like, oh, this is my favorite film. It's ever. kind of like that thing. Anybody who ha- who really enjoyed um, Adam Sandler's work now, in the harsh light of day, looking back on things, feels a little bit ashamed about it. I. I- do but i feel like it's because society has made me be ashamed of it like you know how in different countries certain things are acceptable versus not acceptable don't have to go down and disappear into that dark rabbit hole but (laughs) it seems like in sort of a westernized english-speaking society all of a sudden it's just become gospel to just take a massive shit on everything adam sandler does now i'm not saying he hasn't earned this because oh boy (laughs) there's been some stuff but you know what things like happy gilmore billy madison like little nicky i really loved mr deeds all of that sort of late or mid to late 90s, early 2000s uh, Sandler, 
I really enjoy it. And I think it might be because I was a teenager when I first watched it all, but there's like a place in my heart. It kind of occupies the same sort of juvenile space that like pop punk bands occupy yeah. in there. Is, but is I, the, I still the same kind happy of thing, to admit I love it. Is it the same kind of thing uh, that happened with Ben Stiller in as much as there was like a kind of collective burnout on Ben Stiller around the same time and there was also a slide in the quality of the stuff he was doing and those two things kind of combined together. Uh, a lot of people were over Ben Stiller. Uh, much yeah, as they're bring... very over Adam Sandler much more over Adam Sandler than they are Ben Stiller I will say <laughs> I blame 2007 film Heartbreak Kid for be- for people being over Ben Stiller have you ever seen that? Uh, I can't say I have it is an abortion level film <laughs> Jesus <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just absolutely get off the fence Jack will you? <laughs> it just because he's been in so many of those goofy sort of rom like half rom commy style films and they'd always been really good like Along Came Polly for instance is like a really like trashy but funny and enjoyable thing of him and Jennifer Hank Aniston Hank Azaria is great in that isn't Hank Azaria <laughs> as the fu- <laughs> as the scuba instructor that uh, that poaches his missus is t- 10 stars my friend <laughs> But then, uh, have you noticed that Hank Azaria is great in whatever he does? Oh, that we we could be here all day talking about that. Uh, I love yeah, Hank it's, Azaria. It's, not only does he do accents great, but his body language and facial expressions <laughs> are just class. Like he's like he's another one of those guys lost in the ages of of guys that you just think this is a perfect Saturday Night Live guy. What, what Hank Azaria. Fa- one of my favorite underrated shows um, of the last God knows how many years is Huff that uh, had him and uh, Padgett Brewster and Anton Yelchin when he was a teenager and oh god um, R.I.P. the dude he's in he's one of these kind of I'm blanking on uh, my IMDB powers have have failed me uh, so it doesn't stand for internet movie dave base then indeed indeed but anyway um just to to kind of come back uh my my one stranger things too i know yeah my one problem with stranger things too is that one of the my favorite characters from the first season and a guy who has definitely endeared me in uh in when he was in it this past summer um Finn Wolfhard isn't in Stranger Things 2 nearly as much as I would want him to be. He's kind of pushed to the side of all the the kind of the main cadre uh, of characters in it. And I would imagine based on the timing, it was probably because he was shooting it at the time. So they probably only had him a certain amount of the time. Sure. Um, And he could only have so much on his plate at any one time. But still kind of a little bit disappointing because I really liked him. Uh, His turn in it as Richie Tozier is, is amazing and probably the best part of that film for me but anyway uh, let's talk jack about some video games shall we yeah i think that is probably the accepted thing on this podcast right <laughs> i think so playing this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 scott you are the salt of the earth oh thanks i meant scum of the earth thanks some stuff came out this week jack i think it's fair to say <laughs> There were some hammer drops from uh, the video game gods this week, Dave. The, the, uh, uh, a day, uh, October 27th, a day so powerful... Couldn't even summon the words there. I know, right? Uh, a day so powerful in terms of games dropped that a lot of people have forgotten that Call of Duty is out this week. Like I don't even remember what that is. 
<laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, but we had the the one the one of the three big releases I haven't played is Assassin's Creed Origins, which by all accounts seems to be pretty decent. Uh, everyone's saying that the two years off really benefited them. Um, but I'm here to t- talk about the other two games, and uh, the first one I want to talk about is Wolfenstein Two: The New Colossus. Um, did you play the the kind of the soft reboot of the Wolfenstein franchise a couple of years ago, Jack? New Order, by any chance? Yes, and it was a good time. I didn't yeah. actually finish it though. It was it was pretty tough, um, and and that's kind of that's that that follows through into Wolfenstein too. But yeah, it was a bit tough, and I thought it was it was good. It was it was really good for kind of like rebooting that franchise as something a bit different. Um, but it wasn't great in the way that say Doom last year was great. Um, oh, do this is the second swing from uh, machine games uh, kind of following up pretty much directly after the events of uh, the new order and it's a bit jack i'll tell you what this is a pretty special game um the best way i can sum it up so the the there'll be no spoilers because the game's only a few days old but um there's an article waypoint uh the, the kind of the gaming vertical of vice put out last week that said wolfenstein 2's opening is not messing around <laughs> uh let me tell you my friend like it is it, they do not ease you in with some of the like the graphic depictions of violence um of the evil of nazis and of some of the other themes that uh kind of play out over the course of wolfenstein 2 like the first hour of that game is just a brutal onslaught of horrible just sobering events taking place um would you compa- would you say the tone changes in like is it kind of like that metal gear solid five of like shock and awe for the first hour or so and then you kind of find your feet in what the game is or, or is it kind yeah. of a continuing trend yeah i wouldn't say like it hangs over you like a paw like it, there, there are moments of levity and where the tension kind of breaks and th- those come in like the characters because uh the game is kind of based on your kind of the the people you ally with in the first game uh basically sees a german u-boat and that's kind of almost like your hub so after every big mission you'll come back to the u-boat do a couple of small things in the u-boat and then go out on another kind of big story centric mission and it's in those moments where you're interacting with those people because there's quite a cast of characters and that you've assembled and you meet a couple more uh, early on in this game that come with you and that's where the moments of levity come in um but there is like it there is definitely a real heaviness and a real darkness to this game that even the like there was some horrifying shit that was depicted in the first one and it's not even it can't touch the shit that's coming out in this game like um the, one of the things that's really wild about it is that like bj blaskowitz is this guy who kind of like the doom marine uh was just his face on the screen in the original 2d games um like there was no kind of context apart from like a couple of lines about who bj blaskowitz was and this new franchise has really been kind of trying to give a backstory to bj and kind of uh, fill out that character a little bit to the point where I really think that he is one of the better written uh, protagonists in a shooter I have ever come across uh, by the point I'm at in this game. But um, there are moments in the game that kind of like take a step back in time and go back um, to his relationship with his parents. 
um, that explore some really dodgy themes about, uh, shall we say, attitudes in turn of the 20th century America, if you get Uh my meaning. (laughs) Um, The the father is this kind of like down on his luck, failing industrialist who kind of squandered all the mother's family's money trying to keep his businesses alive. And he kind of takes out that frustration with himself, with how like he's a failure and he's not really that intelligent. He takes it all out on the, the wife and and BJ, uh, and he kind of through that like he he um like there's there's a really harrowing scene with you hiding in a wardrobe because he heard that you were playing with um a black girl who lived down the road and like bj's all bit i like six or eight years old in this and there's a really horrifying scene that plays out with the mother um and like every repeated visit to kind of like his past uh is like it gets even like even more grim um do you know that what you've just described reminds me of uh the first series of daredevil and you get to see wilson fisk's evolution into an yeah. absolute monster yeah that's kind of like that's kind of that's kind of what you're getting here um and like there, there's stuff that like you're really like at the end of Wolfenstein 1 like uh, Blaskowitz is really fucked up and, and kind of that plays out over the over the game Wolfenstein 2 like and it, it comes out in the gameplay in as much as because of the, the damage the lasting damage that you sustained through the events of Wolfenstein 1 you're basically you you have a disability in this game you you start the game when you wake up months after the the kind of final events of Wolfenstein and you you've been really fucked up and you're in a wheelchair for the first level going around the U-boat because you were woken up from your kind of uh, medically induced coma by the the Nazis have arrived on the U-boat so you're going around in a wheelchair with your machine gun killing Nazis on a U-boat and that's just the start of the game. Um, <laughs> do you know but, what? You know you always yeah. do your elevator pitch when you yeah. talk about <laughs> your, your book club game of the week. If your elevator pitches, the first level is you're in a wheelchair gunning down Nazis. Sign <laughs> me the fuck up, friend. On a German U-boat. Don't forget that part. Oh, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't... You would just assume that that would be Yeah, of course, at that point, yeah. Um, But, like, going forward then, like, when when you're kind of up and out of the wheelchair, um, you have half the health capacity you had in Wolfenstein 1. So, like, you would have had 100 health as your default in Wolfenstein 1. Your default health now is 50. And if you get health packs to go above 50, it will slowly... Like, it'll overcharge you, so you'll tick back down to 50 eventually. Uh, it'll only automatically regenerate to 50 to kind of play out that idea that uh, he's really fucked up and like war isn't war and horrific events and horrific violence aren't something you just snap back from uh, and it's crazy as well like if you try and idle with uh, Blaskowitz in this his, he permanently has tremors in his hands so like you're walking around and as you're kind of firing and running and gunning you don't really notice it but if you completely stop dead you'll see the gun just rattling around in his hands shaking um it's a really cool little touch um the gameplay is weird because it it like it, it doesn't feel like it feels like a kind of like i need to walk through and, and pick up stuff and look around and take my time but 
that's a that's a really good way to die. This is a very hard game, and they've kind of doomified the gameplay in certain ways. In as much as the only real way to get through it is to never stop moving, uh, get really good because you can dual wield weapons again in this one, and you can mix and match. Like you could have a pistol in one hand and a shotgun in the other, or a, a, a machine gun in the other. Um, just get your dual wield on and just run and gun as much as you can and you more times than not you'll probably get through it um i'm playing on the second or th no the, the third difficulty up of the six available to me and it is just balls hard it's it's really really tough um the one final thing i'll say before we turn into the other game of the week is um there is a moment in this game about halfway through and like I said, the, the opening of this game doesn't fuck around at all. Like it's really going for it really quick with some of the things that it's trying to discuss. Um, by the, th the things happen in the middle of the game and, and I, I was on, as Barry, I'll, I'll steal friend of the show, Barry Murphy's words. I was on an emotional roller coaster for about an hour when this series of events starts to happen and um by the end of it it made the opening pale in comparison wow. like, my jaw was on the goddamn fucking floor uh, like to the point where i i, I fired out a tweet last night so like everybody needs to play this game and get to this because like it is one of the ballsiest games I have ever played in terms of like the thing, like it is swinging for the fucking fences in terms of like what it's doing with the story, uh, the themes and the issues it's discussing and, and handling remarkably well for what is kind of ostensibly a dumb first person shooter that is known for having Mecha Hitler in it. Um, <laughs> you know, and is there uh, is there any appearances by himself at any stage in well, the game that the you've things, come across? The things I can say about this is it's based on two things that are out there in the open, and that's one trailer in which you see a glimpse uh, of a frail Hitler in a cutscene. Uh, and then the second thing is there was an interview with some of the devs from Machine Games who kind of said like when they were asked about before Wolfenstein 2 was fully unveiled they were asked about like will Mecha Hitler be in Wolfenstein 2 and they were like you see we're thinking of this as a trilogy at least and when you do Mecha Hitler there's nowhere else you can go. <laughs> you know, just like you have Space pushed the boat Mecha out, Hitler. you have pushed the boat out so far with Mecha Hitler that there's nowhere you can really go but down from there, which I completely understand. So you save that for the third game or whenever the final game in your series is. But um, he's the Thanos of the Wolfenstein universe, is what indeed. you're saying. Indeed, um, it's it's a fantastic game. Um, like some people might bounce off the the difficulty of it as a shooter I, I would suggest like for the story and for the setting and for how cool it looks um and, and some of the stuff that happens in it i would recommend like just bumping it down a couple of difficulties to to get through it and to have a look around because oh, it's fucking it's mad it's really like myself and barry are both kind of most of the way through the game now and we're chomping at the bit i'm meeting up with him on saturday going to an ott show in dublin because we don't know anybody else who's this far in the game and we need to talk about it <laughs> with somebody oh, without wow. ruining it like it's just like i'm i'm not kidding you and i am not being hyperbolic when i say some shit happens in that game and oh my god um this week 
has completely made Game of the Year a very, very difficult talk to be had. And speaking of which, let's talk about Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> oh, <Tumble> shift. boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Jack. Um, I've been talking for quite a while, so I'm just going to leave this to you for a few seconds here to, to gush about this. It's just, it's just so much, it's just so much goddamn fun, Dave. Yeah. I, it's exactly what you want it to be, you know. Sometimes people in life expect things to change and evolve, like beyond conception, and and that is kind of seen as progress, and and nothing else really is. But this game is just like we've got the single elements of really awesome Mario games from like a couple of the ones we've done before. Let's just combine them all and make everything look beautiful and add like insanely rich open world environments in which to do it. And you know what? 120 stars in Super Mario 64 was it? How about you just go and find like 800 fucking moons and we're going to hide them in every nook, cranny and fucking crevice of level and you just have yourself a blast. And Dave, you know, from the random costume changes to the, the the sentient hat that can possess everything from, like, lookout posts to a goddamn Tyrannosaurus, it just hits the fucking spot. And it fills me with absolute joy. Like, playing this game just makes me so happy. There are, um, I believe, yeah, there are 836 moons in this game. And Get like the said, fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you touched on um, a, a thing like, when I remember when I first played Super Mario 64 and I read there was 120 stars and I was like, I am, there's no chance I will ever have the time in my natural life to get all 120 of these. How and many I, times have you completed Mario 64, mate? Because I reckon I've done it three or four times. I've done it about once a year since 1997. <laughs> there, thereabouts. <laughs> there you uh, go. I love that game so much. But this is like, this is... <laughs> It's it's a it's an it's a whole new thing by itself, but it's also in some ways like the greatest hits of 3D Mario. Like it's That's got. What I mean, they're taking every yeah. element that made all the other Mario games great and put it into this game. And they've they've done so much. Like sometimes when they add a gimmick, you're like, uh, okay, I'm not like super wild about this. Like I wasn't super wild about Cat Mario in 3D World. Uh, I know that Flood in Sunshine is very divisive. Although I have always had a soft spot for Super Mario Sunshine, as we discussed before on the pod um but the, the the cap mechanic in this game is fantastic yes the, it is the, the, both the capture in terms of possession and the thing that i'm getting really kind of like i'm trying my best to get used to and that's the idea of like instead of having a double jump you can throw the cap try and land on the cap and get an additional kind of jump boost from that um, and trying to chain that together with your like your cartwheeling jump and your somersault and your wall jump and stuff like that to try and get up into interesting places on a map. Um, one of the things that I really love about Mario Odyssey so far is just it's kind of a similar thing to what Zelda hit on this year, and that was the like the joy of exploration. Um, and and whereas in Zelda, and don't get me wrong, Zelda is genuinely one of my favorite games of this generation um 
but one of the things Zelda has is sometimes you'll go up and you'll walk somewhere for ages that looks interesting and sometimes there won't actually be anything there except maybe like a Korok seed which after a certain point you've got enough of those but in this like uh, uh, there is no time at which in Mario Odyssey so far I've gone oh I want to explore that thing looking over there where I haven't been rewarded with something uh, between like a moon or like some of the normal gold coins or some of the, the purple kind of the the currency for each kingdom um, it, it's, it really is there's like a real reward to trying weird shit in that game and just going yeah. I wonder if there's a thing in here and there's almost always a thing in there you're spot um, on the, the I wonder if like it, it makes you think so creatively like even just little things like the first big world is like the, the sand the world sand kingdom. the sand kingdom yeah. and there's just things like you see a fucking moon on a pillar and like you know you can't jump up to it and you just look at it and you think okay motherfucker I'm gonna get yeah. this moon I'm gonna figure out how to do this and you might not do yeah. it straight away like sometimes you can labour like for 20 minutes trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to get to a moon like I-, I was playing on my lunch break earlier and I was in the um, like the woodland kingdom is the forest kingdom I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what it's called and um, I was just trying to I think, it, I think it might actually be woodland kingdom I'm not sure yeah, and I was just trying to get a moon for like uh, wooded kingdoms. Wooded, wooded kingdom. kingdom. I was yeah. trying to get a moon for like fifteen, twenty minutes. Yeah. Just like ah, oh, like you get stuck on it. Whereas other times you'll bump into them. But like yeah. sometimes you make a mental note. I don't know about you, Dave, but you walk past it and you're like, I am in the middle of something right now. But I have logged you in the back of my brain, and I will come back. Yeah. And Liam and, Neeson style, I will find you yeah. with and, my and particular ju- set of new skills. <laughs> J- just as often I've seen one and gotten completely distracted and got off to do that instead of doing what I was originally yeah. supposed to do. So that was like, my when, point. Well, you when, spend 15, yeah. 20 minutes just down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Literally sometimes down an actual rabbit yeah. hole trying like, to find a moon. There's like when you land in a kingdom in this game, there's a loose kind of, oh, here's where the like the big multi-moon is to, to unlock the next part of the map or to move on or something like that. Um, so that's where it's kind of trying to gently shove you in the direction of and I'll be like okay I'm running here I'm running here oh there's a little alcove there I'm going to run in there you know um, I also really enjoy have you done many of the, the boss battles in it yeah against the um, what are they called the fl- the, the brutals the brutals I keep calling yeah. them the flubals in my head <laughs> <laughs> I think they were in Fraggle Rock weren't they <laughs> <laughs> I possibly think they could have been yeah <laughs> I don't know why. Every time I see him, I'm just like Flubel. It's it's, uh, it's that kind of like Jeremy character. trying to speak French in, in France, where he's <laughs> yeah. just like he's just a blah blah blah. Um, there's I, I really think it's like an interesting twist on the the traditional Mario boss battle. There's some really cool uh, battles that take place with the Brutals and with in other battles because uh, there are sometimes kind of mid bosses in in these levels uh, when you encounter them down pipes and and whatnot. Um, I'm really I'm I'm. I'm crazy about the um, the the 2D pipe where you go in. And I do, do a, enjoy that. Do yeah. a little bit of 2D Mario Brothers. Uh, like I with love some the interesting 2D pipes. On it. But do you know what? The 3D platformy ones are just as fun too. Yeah, so they'll you know get what? like ones where you get a 2D. Have... View. Go on, yeah. Go on. I was gonna say they get a 2D view, 
but you're still in like Mario 3D and you're trying to figure it yeah. out. Like there was one in definitely in the Wood Kingdom. The ones where you go down the pipe into like a uh, like a kind of I wouldn't say hard. Some some of them are pretty hard. Um, platforming, 3D platforming thing. Um, they're difficult. But I don't find them the kind of maddening and capricious difficulty that the ones in Sunshine had. Like, I have forgotten yeah. how just head-wrecking they were. Like, I've been watching Steal My Sunshine, the giant bomb series where they're playing through it, and just watching them. There was one uh, particular one where they were, I, I think they were legitimately playing it for over an hour. Oh. And, like, sometimes you could see why they were dying, but other times it was just like, what the fuck, you know? Uh, whereas this, if I die in a platforming level, I know exactly what I've done wrong, and I just need to kind of, like, adjust what I would normally do in a certain situation. Um, there's only one of the platforming levels. There's a 2D platforming one um, after you beat the main game that unlocks uh and it's I, I posted a screenshot of it so if anyone wants it for reference when they get to it um it's completely maddening it's the only one where i've gone right i need to stop now because i'm going to get upset so i'm going to go off and <laughs> have some fun <laughs> and i'll come back to this like when i've done a load more of the the platforming ones and i'm a bit more sharp on it there was um, one that really annoyed me um because i didn't move on in the, the sand kingdom straight away i just stayed there collecting moons because i was yeah. like i'm gonna get all the moons i got to 30 moons dave and i was like i'm not gonna get all the moons because i'm yeah. still finding moons i should just yeah. move on to the next level no, not, not um, only that but then like when you beat the game a whole bunch more unlock for every single kingdom oh don't but <laughs> it was like you had to guide bullet bills through this like weird. I know, I know exactly with the like the rotating stuff. Oh, like, that rotating I... bit can just get in the it, sea, my but, friend. Do you know it's not even uh, to me? That's not even a case of like the the maze you have to go through with bullet bill. Uh, it's more the um, camera angle. The camera angle, like the fact that um, the what the stick does changes yeah. based on the orientation of bullet bill rather than staying true to the orientation of the camera yes that's, that's which, where the real frustration comes in with that thoroughly frustrating it reminds me a lot of there's a mario party 2 game from the 64 yeah. called uh, dizzy dance where it basically messes up your controls so you have to then figure out which direction you need to go in based on like your your drunken dizzy mario Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much like that. You get into the bill, and once you get into the bullet bill, like the hat and the way that the bullet bill is facing doesn't always match up with the way that it was facing before. And yeah, yeah. That, that, that drove me nuts, my friend. It yeah. took, that was a good 10, 15 minutes of swearing my tits there's up that, there. <laughs> there's, like, uh, there's some coins and there's two moons in there. And I'm just like, when I yeah. saw the second when I saw the second moon, I was like, right, I'm getting this now because once I've done this, I'm never I fucking coming back here. Never want to go back there, yeah, <laughs> ever again. It was uh, the, a nightmare. The worst part is is that there was a thing I had to come back there for after the game, not in there, but I had to get because you know the way you come out on the roof at the end of that. 
Yeah, there's another Be- moon on the move. Uh, on the roof. On the move. Uh, the move was on the roof. <laughs> Um, no, it like it, being on the roof there was beneficial to me because I couldn't figure out another way to do a different uh, moon that shows up after the game. But uh, I won't kind of tip the cap on that too much. Um, uh, one of my favorite things about it, we'll, we'll spend a couple more minutes gushing about it and then we'll, we'll head on to the news. But um, there's a couple more things I want to get get off my chest here with Mario Odyssey. Um, I love the, the distinct feeling and kind of art style of each kingdom. Um, they, they pointed out on the giant bombcast this week that like there's a couple of water levels and a couple of uh, icy levels and they couldn't feel more different from one another like you know the kind of like there's an in a in a, a game of old like the, all kind of water levels feel the same all ice levels feel the same sure, it's like yeah. like the there's um I can't remember the name I, I don't have all the names of the kingdoms in front of me here but there's like um there's a seaside kingdom and then there's another one that has a lot of water in it and the two of them couldn't be more disparate in, in yeah, terms of Yeah, that's like the one handle. with the palaces in it. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's that one, yeah. Um, so I really, really appreciate that. Um, I, I, I just, it, it's a, just visually gorgeous game. I, I love messing around with the different costumes Mario has. Um, my favorite so far is the the full on pirate costume. I've really been enjoying. Uh, I quite enjoy the uh, natty red and white striped blazer costume that he has. As yeah. a fan of blazers, I I saw that Indeed. and I was like, "Yep, I'm gonna be rocking that bad boy." Um, I also enjoyed someone did a real close up of him because the pirate costume has an eye patch on it, and someone uh, did the big close up screenshot and had punished Venom Mario on it. <laughs> I, I laughed a lot. Um, I also say, like, the reason I've, I've beaten the game now that I didn't take my time going through it, like you have, and definitely Mark has taken his time and trying to kind of get a lot of the moons, even though I kind of like, mate, you're not going to get 100%, you literally can't get 100% before you beat the game, so there's no point. Um, I kind of, I, I had gotten, I was like you, I think I was about 30-odd moons on uh, Sand Kingdom, and that's when people started posting a lot of screenshots and videos of things I hadn't seen. And I was like, right, I'm not having this game spoiled on me. So I'm going to, from after Sand Kingdom on, I got pretty much whatever the number was required to move on, maybe a couple more if I found more on the route. Yeah, Um, same here. And then I I would move on to the next one. Uh, I'm exactly the same, mate. I don't feel like I've lost anything by not pouring around because now I'm getting to come back to it and in, in I can spend, now that I've unlocked kind of the ability to 100% a map, I can kind of just sit around now, uh, like take my time in, in each one of them. Like I finally, last night, I 100% in my first kingdom, which was uh, Cascade Kingdom, the one uh, with the, the waterfall, the caveman aesthetic one. I do enjoy that, yeah um so like i i really really like that i just love this game so much um like you said at the end of the day it comes down to it's just fun um there's so much to do i'll be playing it for so long the every kingdom is satisfying and fun in its own way i think the the end game not to tip the cap like the end game is really satisfying the the stuff that's set up and that unlocks in the post game 
I, I have rarely comp- in recent years completed a game that has made me more want to just keep going like it's Mario so I was probably going to keep going anyway but the amount of stuff that once you kind of beat the the main thrust of the game that they throw at you in the 10 minutes afterwards going hey look at this look at this look at this look at this I'm like oh shit <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like I'm, ne- I'm never gonna not want to play this game <laughs> you know yeah i i know i'm gonna try and have to get all those moons dave i'm not happy about it but i know i'm gonna love doing it like in my head you think oh for god's sake that is gonna take so long but it's gonna be a blast again yeah like i'm nearly i'm nearly at 300 now and i'm not even close to halfway (laughs) you know what i mean like when you think that 836 um and like i'm both intimidated and thrilled by it Dave, can I just throw in some some cautious spanners into the works here? Mm-hmm. I have two very minor quibbles about the game. Oh, here Other he is. That, here he is now. Y- Buzz yeah. Killington. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Buzz Killington. <laughs> so, number one, I like playing my Switch in a handheld style. Um, uh. And... I bring it to work to play at lunchtimes on occasion. So I go and sit in Costa Coffee or wherever to make sure that no one at my work knows how much of a child I am sitting there playing the Nintendo Switch. Jack, uh, Jack, Jack they I, know. They know. <laughs> they, they definitely know, mate. Yeah. If you're, if you're uh, anything like me, which you are, they know. <laughs> they, they do know, mate. I think they prefer it if I was just honest about it. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> when I'm hiding away in in uh, Edgware Road, Costa Coffee, if anyone wants to come and find me for lunchtime, <laughs> I uh, I have to have the the Joy-Cons kind of clipped in because I'm sort of sat at a table playing it and I, I don't have the thing. And in, even in public, like holding the Joy-Cons out and that feels a little bit weird. I don't like the fact that there are certain things that you can do with Mario that require the motion controls. That yeah that detracts just a tiny bit from the experience for me like you know the homing cap that spins around yeah. you and stuff like you, well, without shaking it you can't get it to do that in the seemingly, same way now I, I haven't looked into it too much because i tend to play it in tv mode or if i'm playing it in desktop mode as they call it i'm playing it with the pro controller and the kickstand um and the pro controller has motion controls in it so i'm good um but apparently on again on the bombcast i've listened to the whole thing uh they did mention there is some sort of way to do it with it in tablet mode um i don't know what way that is but um yeah hopefully that makes things a little better on you if you go into the control menu that just and they don't give you the intuitive way to do it without the motion controls and i kind of just feel a little bit like "Mm," like really like yeah you've got the option to be able to do that i I don't like like especially considering jump is a and b like i'm quite happy have jump as a and then b is like you know wired to throw the cap and then b like double tap it to do something crazy or whatever i I, I like that having it as a and b uh and the the cap as x and y because like it accommodates for people who know like who play switch all the time and go right okay here's where a is and it's always a to jump in mario games but then it also by having it as b accommodates for people who play playstation or xbox and the bottom at the bottom x or uh a on the xbox uh that's where that's orientated so that's pretty handy because at no point sometimes when i switch to nintendo games i have to remember where a b x y are 
because uh, it's different to the other two. Um, yeah. So that's handy. What's your other quibble with it uh, before we move on? My other, my other small quibble is sometimes the camera just gets me just yeah. a little bit fucking enraged. Yeah, I will say um, less so than I think almost any 3D Mario. Um, yeah. Uh, I, but definitely there, there's something about platformers in a 3D space that people just can't quite 100% figure it out yet. Um, I, I tend it's to... All the pers- like, you have the occasional forced perspective change yeah. where the game's clearly trying to highlight something to you or it's trying to make it easier. But like in your head, you've already mapped out how you want to do it. And then like it's such a... The D-pad and the movement field is so sensitive. Like it's so precise in this mario like you know mario 64 like you you feel like you have a little bit of leeway yeah like I maybe you can, you can adjust the the sense the movement sensitivity from what i know um in that kind of the, the control setup uh, i had heard people complaining about that that they were going just running off cliffs um and they adjusted the movement sensitivity which is a handy thing to have built in there but yeah i, I, I totally get that um, yeah. the, the camera is just thankfully it's not as bad as like I, I think Sunshine was the biggest offender with that um, yeah. the, the, the camera was your your biggest rival in that game but uh, yeah, but you can Odyssey. create a tower of Goombas in this game so I guess those, I, I think about those two things and then I make a tower of Goombas and I'm like you know what I don't care <laughs> <laughs> I saw one of my favourite gifts so far of uh, Super Mario Odyssey uh, and we'll leave you on this note because I'm sure me and Mark will be talking about it for weeks to come um, <laughs> there was a guy who had captured into a Goomba but his Mario was wearing the skeleton suit that you can get and sure. He 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 walked up to a lady Goomba to woo her, which is a thing you can do in this. And when he was right up in front of her, he exploded out of the Goomba in the skeleton suit, and she was so terrified she burst into coins. <laughs> what the hell, man? I was just like, video games are the best. <laughs> oh, that is yeah, that is special. I, I'm gonna need to see that immediately after the show <laughs> okay so that's uh, what we've been playing this week out of the way and we're going to move on now to talk about the news news on the mark Jack, I think the the biggest news story of the week is uh, the the Sony conference at Paris Games Week took place uh, this week, and there was actually some news at it. Generally speaking, Sony have a a nominal presence at at Paris Games Week, but it's E3 and uh, their own uh, PlayStation experience in December that usually get all the the good announcements uh but we had kind of got a heads up maybe the morning of the the conference that uh, a lot of the psx announcements were being shifted to this that they were kind of uh going to make this a bigger deal and we did get some stuff uh so i'm just going to jump into it in kind of a bit of a random order there was a, a pre-show it was funny the pre-show for this conference lasted an hour but the conference itself only lasted 45 minutes i'm not a big fan of that trend but here we are Kind of um, like the build-up to a football match on Sky Sports these days, really. Yeah, Fucking longer than the actual much. game. 
Yeah, especially those ones, you know, where there used to be, like, a big gap between two games, and instead of, like, let's go away and show something else for an hour, it's like, no, let's sit here for, like, nearly two hours and talk about the football before there's more football. <laughs> yeah, it's the sort of thing where if people that don't like it throw it at you, you're like, yeah, I kind of have to yeah. admit that's stupid. Yeah, pretty much. Um, okay, so one of the, the big stories was Sucker Punch, who are one of Sony's first-party studios, best known for uh, Infamous and Sly Cooper. Um, they have been working away in secret since Infamous First Light came out uh, three years ago or so. Um, and no one has really heard anything about what they were doing. And boom, they opened up the, the press conference proper uh, by debuting this game called Ghost of Tsushima, which appears to be some sort of a samurai action game. Uh, and I don't know about you, Jack, but as an old school PlayStation fan, the first 10 to 15 seconds of this trailer, I was like, is fucking Oni Musha back? That's yeah. exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, but kind of, it, in some ways, when it wasn't that, I was a, like a little bit relieved. And that's not me kind of uh, bashing uh, Oni Musha by any stretch. But I really like the idea of a new IP coming out because um, I, I like having a mix on my consoles of new IP and kind of legacy IP going on. So we've got, you know, a Last of Us sequel. We've just had our fourth Uncharted. And hey, here's a completely new IP from Sucker Punch coming out as well. Uh, big fan of that. Uh, any thoughts on this? Are you? Would you be up for a kind of like an open worldy just going on? Like what kind of games Sucker Punch make? Uh, I'd be thinking this Samurai game will be like an open world kind of action thing. Yeah, it kind of looks like an open world samurai game, which yeah. in my head is cool as fuck. Because if you can just wander around like rural Japan uh, and just like go into different towns and then just hack yeah. the shit out of various stuff, like to me that's then like the the um, like samurai version of Red Dead Redemption. In yeah. my head, I mean, I was, it I might thinking, not I was be thinking, like, that. I was thinking like Samurai Witcher, but obviously it wouldn't be on the same just uh, panic attack inducing scale uh, that Witcher is on. But that kind of thing, where you're, yeah, like you said, roaming village to village, you know, picking up contracts, uh, cleaving stuff with your cool ass sword. Um, yeah, this I'd... is what I expect it to be. I'm sure it won't be that. I'm sure it was, yeah. it's some <laughs> sort of disappointment to someone, but. Yeah, uh, I think also it's it's one of those things where like a, a lot of games, a lot of big studios tend to get stuck in ruts and make uh, one type of game all the time. You know, I think we're at the the end of the everyone's burnt out on the idea of a zombie game at the moment because um, everyone and their mother was doing that. Just like before that, everyone was doing the grey brown military shooter. Um, so it's good to see that uh, like a, this kind of game is a, is a real break from the average $60 game you're getting on a shelf nowadays, and I'm all in favor of that. Agreed. Uh, moving on, we have got uh, an update on Monster Hunter World. Are you a Monster Hunter guy? It, it seems like... It, a game that's... I, I really want to get into it, but it's way too hardcore for me, I think. Yeah, I never really played it all that much. I mean, I've seen, like, other bits and stuff of people playing it. It's just it. Like, you know what? I quite enjoy it in RPGs where they have that element where you are, like, tracking down 
like marks or targets of monsters and stuff but i kind of enjoy that as like a spin-off quest i I don't know if i could have like a whole game version of that assuming that that's what it kind of that's what it kind of feels and looks like yeah i played the the 3ds monster hunter um and i played it was monster hunter 4 and i played the um the the wii u port of it because i got that uh, for free uh the wii u did this thing where if you'd gotten two of the first party titles in one i can't remember what year it was you got a third one for free and i wasn't really interested in pikmin um so i was like i'll give monster hunter a go um and yeah i kind of bounced off it because it was just like wow um this game requires a level of uh, patience and attention that it has not earned from me yet. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you fair, know? Mate. Um, Even though I, I'm told that like the the, the, the whispers around this one, uh, Monster Hunter World, is that it's going to be the kind of most... Uh, this will be the hop-on point for a lot of people. We're making it much more user-friendly, whereas before it was kind of catering exclusively to the hardcore Monster Hunter fans, of which there are many. It's a, it's a massive, massive deal, particularly in um, Japan. But uh, the news is that Monster Hunter World's beta will be a PlayStation 4 exclusive. Um, it's kind of a silly day and age, isn't it, Jack, where betas are getting console exclusivity? Yeah, it's, it's pretty bizarre, really. I do we really but then i guess it if it's just the beta that's playstation exclusive but the game itself is going to be available on xbox one then uh-huh. um, uh, i don't think is there anybody that say has an xbox one that's like i want to play the beta of this game so bad i'm gonna go out and buy a ps4 yeah i, I don't think there. like I, I could be wrong i want to say there's not I, yeah, I don't feel um, like, like anyone's uh, going to make a multi-hundred-pound yeah. investment. You'll this. get people mildly annoyed by it, that's for sure. Uh, and maybe that the, part of the, part you of the idea... You mean people complaining on the internet about I know, it? Right? I, I never would have thought that would happen. Um, but what you might get is this might... like I think maybe the hope from Sony's point of view is that like if people would say well if this becomes a trend playstation 4 is going to be the the first place that gets all the cool stuff in future you know trying to kind of like make that uh kind of a tacit selling point of the system uh, rather than for this specific beta but you know that's pretty cool uh for monster hunter fans on playstation 4 december 9th to december 12th uh 12th you'll be able to play it uh you can do some co-op stuff online or, or locally on it so um you know fair play to them but monster hunter as we both said not our thing really no. um moving on now to <laughs> uh massive pinch of salt here but the they showed another trailer for the shadow of the colossus uh, ps4 hd upgrade like it's a remake of a remake because shadow of the colossus was ps2 it was kind of up for ps3 and God, now was it's it arriving PS2? on ps2 well oh yeah it was ps2 um, oh my goodness me that feels that feels sooner than that in my head maybe did i I'm just, just an, did i absolutely shatter you with that revelation i am an old old man so <laughs> Um, and here it comes now onto PS4. It's completely, by the looks of it, rebuilt from the ground up, which may help with uh, what was cons- widely considered, in hindsight, a very frustrating control scheme uh, with Shadow of the Colossus. So hopefully, that that's the one thing people I think will hope they have they have fixed for this new one. Um, but it's sh- it's supposed to be dropping in February 2018. But again, as anything associated with Studio Japan or Team Ico. Uh, I wouldn't hold your breath. It may not hit that date. 
let's not forget uh, Last Guardian, shall we? I know this is only an up res, but still. Anyway, um, let's Dave, talk. You sounded a little bit bitter when you said that. <sighs> just so long people were waiting for that game, and it was just okay by the end of it. Ugh. Anyway, let's talk about one of the uh, the favorite recurring characters uh, in chat on Link to the Cast. Mark Robinson. <laughs> Speaking of Mark, it's David Cage, uh, the the Quantic Dream author, the man behind uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, the man behind Beyond Two Souls, the man beyond, uh, behind Heavy Rain, his latest game, uh, which is very much kind of like got this uh, near future Blade Runner androids questioning the nature of consciousness sort of vibe about it. Uh, Detroit Become Human is coming out early. Uh, I think it's uh, spring 2018 and there was a trailer. Have you seen this trailer uh, from PSX, Jack? Because I, I haven't seen the trailer. It, it, in a word, it's harrowing. So you know the kind of like the, the loose thing about uh, David Cage games is that they're all about player agency and choice, is that you have a lot of branching paths based on decisions you made that will completely change the outcome or the kind of like the midpoint of a story. There are an incredible amount of... Uh, branching paths from a lot of decisions uh and this game is is no exception there's uh, <clears throat> a trailer where you're playing uh cara who was kind of uh we've seen that character cara in i think the first trailer for detroit and we had seen her in a tech demo for the project that would later become detroit years and years ago from david cage but she's in a home and there's kind of like a drunken abusive father and, and his daughter and something happens and she runs upstairs and the father goes to chase her and turns around to the android Kara and says don't you follow me upstairs and at that point it shows that like okay your decisions here are follow her upstairs uh, to make sure she's okay or stay there and at first it shows you what happens if you don't and it doesn't show you it actually happening but it shows you the aftermath that if you don't follow her up, the father beats the daughter to death. Jesus, mate. <laughs> yeah, like this is in the middle of this whimsical press Can we conference. go back to Mario Odyssey, please, I, please, I please? Tower of Gumbas, Tower of Gumbas, oh, oh, Tower dude, of Gumbas. It, get, it, it gets grimmer, not this trailer, but there's another really grim trailer that we're going to be talking about. Um, oh, I've seen that one. Don't you oh, worry good about Lord. it. Good um, Lord. But yeah, he kind of like, he goes upstairs and you hear some noise and then you go up to the room and you see him place her down on the on the the bed and say he's not was uh, he says something like that he's not angry anymore and her eyes are open wide and glassy and it's just like holy is, shit and that's then, horrific mate that I is know, horrible I, oh it genuinely is and like people have been really upset by it because it's like you know is like it's a it's a horrendously serious topic to talk about domestic abuse and child abuse and is the way to unveil that your game has that to put it in a flashy kind of e3 style trailer maybe not so much um but it shows kind of the branching paths like you can go upstairs and you can kind of try and fend off the father there's an implication that uh you had interceded during one of his attempted beatings before and he had broken Kara into little bits and she had to be sent back and reset um and you obviously don't remember that it's just a child telling you that that's your memory um 
different things like that like you know trying to escape the house or trying to stand your ground and, and fight off the father and yeah it's a it's a really fucking horrendous trailer and, and here's the thing right like I, I i don't know where you stand on this jack and i'll kind of uh i'll, I'll cut to you for your takes on this but mine my take would be there are very few subject matters uh, and i would have to think hard about it that i would say okay absolutely you can't you can't explore this theme in a game. I, I've seen enough really hard and difficult themes tackled very, very well in video games at this point um, where I could completely say in the right hands, you can kind of explore almost anything. And video games level of interactivity and immersiveness almost make it kind of more impactful if you handle it right than if you just kind of wrote down this uh thing on a page or explored in tv show or movie because you're you're actively having to be part of it however <laughs> my de my the, the other side of that would be this is a game that's in the hands of david cage and i have enjoyed the wackiness of some of his games and i think um you know heavy rain is slagged off a lot but i think heavy rain is pretty damn good i i, I quite like it i like um, the noir feel of heavy rain yeah uh, i there is definitely some inherent silliness in it but i i think largely that's a pretty damn good experience and story but the thing about it is david cage has such form with mishandling really serious things uh in the past and has a real problem with and i'm not going to get into it in, in depth but he has a real problem with um kind of trying to shirk himself of the male gaze um there are the <laughs> i remember there was a male gaze male gaze as in the men looking at his stuff <laughs> as in um the you can tell the way the camera pans around a woman in those games that it is a male who is looking. You know what I mean? Sure. So okay. There, yeah. His, I his just games, didn't. I didn't, I didn't his know games, if you were referring. <laughs> when you said gays, I wasn't sure where yeah. you were going with it. I was his, a bit worried. His games are renowned for um, really kind of like I don't even want to say borderline, but pretty pervy stuff. Like, um, I remember we were doing our Beyond Two Souls playthrough that we only really did so that I could laugh at Mark going insane watching me play it. And uh, I kind of just went, there was a scene where Ellen Page's character was uh, alone in her apartment and she's getting ready for a date. And I said, if this is the David Cage game that I think it is, right about now, she will take off her clothes and go into the shower for a really long time. And jack as true as i'm sitting here that's exactly what fucking happened oh dave <laughs> and of the um where can i get this game just okay. <laughs> of the david cage games i have played 100 percent of them have had stuff like that in it so when i see really heavy themes like this in a game i think to myself oh i really like i'm i'm cool with a game that wants to try and explore this stuff but i don't necessarily trust the hands it's in uh, what do you think about covering like this is a really horrifying topic obviously domestic abuse or child abuse uh how do you feel about the idea of a video game uh triple a video game trying to kind of touch that sort of evil and discuss it it's kind of the same thing it's all about context really isn't it it's how how yeah. is it presented uh, how is it dealt with? What are the outcomes of it? Is it... It has to feel essential to the plot for me. Like, yeah. 
you can't just cut to something that dark and then like not really explain or kind of give the reasons like you know you were talking about the stuff from wolfenstein earlier yeah like, yeah the that's, things that's that happen a, to that, that's a real parallel um and like yeah. I, I feel within the context of the game that they earned it you know what i mean um, yeah that was it's like, not okay. even about earning it it's just about treating yeah. that sort of thing like in a way where you're because you can't you can't just do it you know you can't just do it for the sake of doing it you have yeah. to do it because it it a matters and b yeah. you need to show i feel like you need to show some sort of um outcome or some like some, some reason that justifies it being there like it can't be just something that's in there just to set the mood it has to be yeah. okay you actually want to explore this issue and i think in yeah, that's they definitely mood do it. anyone wants to be set what yeah. i'm trying the word i was trying to look for is consequence yeah. Like, it needs to happen, and, like, th- your character needs, or the people in the game need to be visibly or audibly, if it's, like, some sort of game where you lose your eyesight or something, affected yeah. by the events. And those events have to feel, like, it has to impact. There has to be impact, and there has to be consequences that everyone deals with, because otherwise... If it's just in there and then oh it's off to the next scene and they're in a they're in a dive bar like I would imagine a David Cage game would do and <laughs> you know like it's raining outside and stuff and then it's like get up and get a drink or you know stop <laughs> stop some horrible abuse happening to a child mm. it was the, it was the previous choice that you had like yeah so it just has to be done right it's it's very difficult to find the the words I think to sort of describe how that sort of uncomfortable feeling you get when you play that game would hit you yeah like i I, i'm gonna buy this game because i i'm really like when pans out badly and when it pans out well i'm always very interested in david gage games because i think there's a lot to talk about regardless of which way they go um but i am i am very tentative about how it's handled there's been a couple of like in the light of wolfenstein and how well it handles some of the really the real darkness that's in that game um it's it's really shone a light on this game and also far cry 5 that's coming out next year and oh yeah there was a trailer during this that very much kind of like underscored this that like originally it was like setting up to be a kind of um dealing with this kind of uh messianic preacher figure and kind of like this this militia out in the middle of nowhere in contemporary US uh, and like it looked like it was going some places it looked like red state to me yeah yeah pretty much and every single trailer I've seen since then has pulled further and further back from that to the point where like this entire trailer didn't show any of the characters just like hey look at all the co-op fun you can have in Far Cry and all the shit you can blow up yeah and I was like oh they've clearly gotten scared by the reaction they were getting um so i yeah. think they're they're stripping stuff out of this game left right and center because again they would have to absolutely go for it swing for the fences to handle it even close to as well as wolfenstein handles its issues uh, and the same goes for detroit here but i also think that's fair you know you can't expect um a company like so i guess the people that are in creative charge of the game fair enough they might genuinely have wanted to do that but you mm. can't expect the company 
to ignore the consumer potential backlash against something yeah. like that. I, I, I would say as well, like, I, I think that it, if you're going to make a game that invokes that kind of stuff, you better fucking go for it or you better get rid of it. You know what I mean? Don't go yeah. half arsed into these things just because you want to create a, like a PR storm uh and uh like get some publicity off it and sell some more games from it um i think that's a really entirely wrong way to go um but yeah that's the, that's that anyway uh moving on speaking of miserable games um <laughs> the last of us part two is a real kind of i wrote in our show notes is a nihilist wet dream you want to talk about they showed five minutes of this game um where like until the title came up i was I wasn't a hundred percent that it was last of us um and this it's it's a fucking bleak trailer jack you said you saw it so do you want to talk us through this one yeah so <laughs> just sharp and take a breath <laughs> oh do you know what it felt like to me dave is it felt like somebody who had made a walking dead video game like i was pretty convinced that negan was going to turn up at some point <laughs> with a bat and just batter everyone to death and breathe well, in slowly <laughs> Yeah, take like 25 years to get a sentence out. Oh, but yeah, it's just, it's dark and it's violent and there's like executions going on. And I, I yeah, this is, this is fucking twisted, man. There's, like, there's people being hung. There's a bit where yeah. like um, the character who in hindsight has turned out is being played by uh, Laura Bailey of, of voice of gaming voiceover fame. Um her character is about to be hung from a tree and which is a harrowing thing to have to say and like it's so like brutal and real looking yeah and she bit... is like absolutely as hysterical as you would expect someone to be in that yeah, situation and, and as well. beca because this naughty dog engine that we saw uh shown off in uncharted 4 and lost legacy is so unbelievably realistic you can't give yourself that kind of like separation of this is just a video game it feels real it feels visceral um but as she's going to be hung this this girl runs in and tries to stop the hanging from happening and this kind of the, one of the ones who had dragged her over to the noose says really coldly just clip her wings and i was like does that mean what I think it means? And all of a sudden, two guys hold the girl down and break her arm with a hammer. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Like, it's really, really bleak. It kind of, the scene plays out after that where kind of like um, they're raided upon and, and the, the people who tried to hang Laura Bailey are shot with arrows and Laura Bailey strangles your one who seems to be in charge with, with her legs and uh, then the one who had tried to save her kind of... Uh, kills her with said hammer but uh the i think the, and then clickers come and that's the end of the trailer but i think the real kind of the the, the talking point of the trailer is is that the, the breaking the arm with the hammer and like we could spend a while here where like i, I have a lot of thoughts about that and the in the current climate showing horrific and graphic violence against women probably not ideal to say the uh, least again if it artistically makes sense in context of the game fine but, but showing in, it in this out of context trailer and isolation given, this trailer given the additional context of not two weeks ago uh 
Naughty Dog issuing the worst statement in the history of statements in response to sexual harassment claims made by David Ballard, one of their environmental artists, where they basically went, no, nah, never happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, they made that statement... And then two weeks later, they, they, they put out a trailer like this out of context. It is pretty rough. And I, I like I said, you know, I, I, I am consistent in that, like you said, if in the context of the game, and I have no reason not to trust uh, the team behind Last of Us because the first one was handled so well and there was a lot of really tough things that uh, bore out in that game that were handled very well. Um if in context that works that's fine but yeah like i said e3 like an e3 style trailer showcase for the cool new games coming out showing something like that out of context is not great at all probably a different tack should have been taken on it yeah yeah um but look i'm still psyched for last of us 2 i just think that like from a pr standpoint that was probably not the way to go uh, i definitely wouldn't have made that call um you like racing games jack like fun racing games um i i feel there's there's never been a bigger kind of like divide in between like the the cartoony kart racers and the heavily realistic racing sims uh, a, a new game called onrush is here to fill that gap in the middle uh, it's coming from uh, your homeland uh, because it's coming from evolution studios and codemasters um it, it's called onrush like i said and it's coming out next year and it kind of looks like uh, they're the the brains behind motorstorm uh, and it kind of looks a bit like Motorstorm, but crossed with, as this Eurogamer article about it says, Trackmania. So it looks a bit crazy. It, it's got a real splash of color about it, and, and it looks looks fun, wouldn't you say? It does look really cool, yeah. I um, I, I didn't really ever feel like there was a need for, uh, for a, a combination of Serious Racer and Kart Racer. Like, is this a, a market that people have been waiting to corner for years? Well, I think there's there's something to be said for, like, it used to be the pocket uh, that was kind of occupied by, like, the good Need for Speed games, because Need for Speed doesn't take it so seriously, like Gran Turismo, where you are passing driving licenses and stuff like that. Um, the like the Gran Turismo games of old used to do. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't like a kind of super trivial thing, what car you were picking in like Need for Speed Underground or anything like that. Uh, it was kind of just a, a mashup in between. And I loved some of those games. Like I said, um, Need for Speed Underground or like Ed Driver games as well uh, were a lot of fun back in the day. But uh, yeah, this this game looks fun. I'll be keeping that on my radar. Um, Housemark who are a studio that I think on the PlayStation 4 generation are best known for Rezogun, which was a free game at launch for PS4 and for quite a few months remained the best game that was available on PS4. Um, the studio Hesmark has announced this week that they are um, pivoting away. They're kind of pretty much since... Um, their foundation have been responsible for like arcadey style old kind of hardcore difficult games they did stardust they did Resogun, and they did next machina that came out this year and they released a statement on their website basically saying hey uh, next machina kind of tanked for us financially and that's not so good so uh, we're going to go away for a while and we're going to do some different stuff altogether." um how do you feel about this, Jack? Is there kind of like, 
is it just responding to a lack of market demand or is it that they they weren't thinking of unique enough twists on the kind of arcade game genre for you i i don't know really because i don't know an awful lot about the company to be honest with you dave Mm. really but i i think there's always going to be a market for those arcadey style games but I just think it's so easy now to play something, not necessarily exactly that way, but something of that kind of genre and that familiar so easily for free that it maybe kind of takes a big chunk of their market away. Or the casual game market, there's so much free-to-play option in there now that that sort of free-to-play thing has kind of taken away the cheaper arcade game thing yeah i i give you that it's kind of like it's especially i think ruined things for the 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 arcade style game that has a decent sized budget in it it's one thing if you're yeah. making little cheap ones that weren't costing too much of an outlay or too much in terms of like the human cost of development time in it but if you're making these like resogun is a really like lush looking game that it took some time to make um so i imagine yeah if the, if the bottom falls out of that market because of uh cheaper alternatives uh it probably is a time to pivot i think to save your company uh so that's a fair shout there this next story is right in your wheelhouse jack mario party the top 100 is coming out this january january the 5th Ooh. to be exact oh um, boy this is uh, uh available on the it's the ds isn't it the 3ds it's on the 3ds yeah it's, I was... it's kind of like a greatest hits of like the top 100 uh mario party mini games uh, oh. the floor is yours my friend oh I, I i am so ready for something like this this is such a great idea i just got it's not on the switch man i i, like... I think like any nintendo game that isn't on the switch you could function it with i'm good it's not on the switch because everything is great on the switch yeah because it, we now we have the switch and the the dual option of playing it at home and playing it on the move or whatever Mm -hmm. you just want everything to be on there like right like yesterday like why the hell can i not already play like you know pokemon red and blue or (laughs) you know super mario world six golden coins or something crazy like that um, so yeah, I, I saw this and I got really excited and then I saw it was just on the 3DS and it's like, yeah, you know, I'll pick that up because I'm a big Mario Party fan. I actually, some of the most fun I've ever had, like playing multiplayer games, isn't playing like anything serious or, you know, like FIFA or like shooty, like a GoldenEye, all that sort of stuff that people... <laughs> I thought for a second you were talking about a game called shooty. I was like, I really uh... want to play the first person game shooty. <laughs> I quite admire that. That's the nominative determinism of yeah. calling a game shooty means that quite clearly that it's going to be the occasional, yeah. It's you know, a like in a JRPG, actually. So, like, you know, in, a, in an English gangster film where they're like, oh, go and get the gun. And you know, like, how all the American act, um, American, like, slang terms, like, gat and stuff like that, kind yeah. of make it sound like quite hardcore. In English gangster movies, it's like, go get the shooter. Yeah. And you're it's like, shooter? Cut the bullshit out. Yeah, I, I think that Bill Bailey did a bit about this once, but it made me really think about it, and I was like, yeah, shooter <laughs> is a fucking ridiculous word, and there's nothing hardcore sounding about that at all. Um, uh, you, but yeah, you... I, 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 some of the best times I've ever had playing multiplayer games with my friends, uh, <laughs> one of them is Mark Robinson, believe it or not, has been playing <laughs> Mario Party. Like, it's just so much fun. Like, 
it kind of makes you think like why would you ever play a board game again when this is an option what, what do you think about having just the mini games and not the the board game element of it all what what does that do as a, as a fan oh is that of the, what it is series? yeah it is it's just the mini games oh i did not know that i thought it was oh, so we get like... your live to tape reactions oh no fuck that then <laughs> um like because oh what a because roller coaster in that... you've been on in that sense, yeah, in that sense, it's just like kind of. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, I don't like that. Then I do like the fact that you can play like them. No, I don't. I do like the fact that you can play them back and stuff. But like, it, the the best part is the board game element of it, and like the idea that you could say go and do that online against somebody or whatever. Yeah. You want to sit there and play fifty turns. Of a Mario Party game against a couple of random dudes from like Idaho or something, cool. Whereas just playing the mini games, like okay, I'll probably play that for about half an hour, three or four times, and then never play it again. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's fair. I, oh. Yeah, you Dave, bit... you've just literally like I'm so <laughs> deflated now. You went, I, you I... went from it like so quickly. You went from excited that this game existed to disappoint that it wasn't on the Switch to furious. <laughs> <laughs> I I've ripped off my shirt in anger. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Well, at least you won't be too miffed that it's not on the Switch now that you'll be missing it. If it's a tenner, then that's fine. But I get the feeling that's not going to be the case. It's is it? probably going to be like forty euro. Oh, that just—I mean, I, you'd rather wipe your ass before euros, <laughs> wouldn't you? Well, I'd rather spend it, but you know, if I'm if the gun to my head, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um. Star Wars Battlefront 2 was one of the games that was really getting a shellacking from uh, the online community over uh, its pervasive use of loot boxes and a kind of locking progression away behind uh, microtransactions and stuff like that. Uh, EA has now announced that it will change the loot crate and progression system in Star Wars Battlefront 2 following the storm of controversy from the open beta multiplayer test. It's not a fundamental overhaul, but more rewards are now earned through gameplay and fewer simply gifted by getting lucky in a loot crate the highest tier of star card uh the variations of which are bronze silver gold and epic has been removed from loot crates entirely is now only available by crafting and crafting will be level restricted you won't be able to buy a bunch of crates grind everything up into crafting materials and immediately use them to get powerful star cards said ea how do you feel about this jack on one hand they're pivoting and they're going right everybody's super pissed about this we're going to change it a bit but at the same time still got loot boxes microtransactions all over this game so they don't want to change it too much what's your take on this in the i feel like i've been talking about loot boxes all year and how annoyed they make me yeah it hasn't everyone though like it kind of it just sort of is Jim Sterling's show at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> is loot boxes. So I, I get why people are kind of sick of hearing about it, but also at the same time, I'm kind of happy about the fact that everyone's kind of saying, no, fuck you. Um, we'd rather earn what we're going to earn via gameplay and dedication. What a, what a novel concept. Yeah, I, people like. You think about how big the RPG earn. Um, mmorpg markets are like people have been conditioned for years towards 
what is the correct system you know if you work your ass off to get certain things in a game it should give you an advantage because you've earned that advantage so the idea that someone could just open their wallet to obtain it must be infuriating yeah you should get the advantage of better stuff because either you're you're very good at the game or you've put in the hours to get the reward you shouldn't get the thing because you had more money in your bank account that month than the person you're playing against online Uh, and a game that is so weighted on online play it's really troubling when stuff like that enters into it for me because i every time we mention this i go on record as saying if loot boxes are just confined to different skins that have no effect on competitive balancing of gameplay whatsoever like i wouldn't say i'm fine with it but i don't object to it half as much i still think there are problems with it but i'm not nearly as aggrieved as i am with this kind of bullshit um but yeah hopefully this is one of those things like uh online passes do you remember that jack do you remember when ea games tried to charge you to use the the network features on them that was that yeah. was fun that didn't last too long um well, so... you know first of all it became it came like if you bought a physical copy of the game yeah you would get like your online code so that you couldn't then trade that game with someone else or like take it in they would then have yeah. to go and buy an online pass and i kind of thought that was as cynical as it was gonna get oh my god <laughs> yeah. how naive am i as a human but Indeed, yeah my friend you're giving them entirely too much credit in the game industry <sighs> yeah it's, it's it's odd it's very odd that it's come to this and it's yeah it's still not okay because it is like pseudo gambling or whatever and there are going to be people that are i mean i feel like fifa and madden ultimate teams i'm not sure which one came first whether it was fifa or madden the the ultimate i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure it was fifa yeah I, I i don't i'm not sure if it it might have been but i kind of feel like they're responsible for loot box culture right because oh with the packs yeah yeah yeah. So that guy, um, is it Spencer FC or whatever? He's got like the whole hashtag United thing. And, you know, he's like massive and he's a YouTuber and he like kind of made his name really from just going on and like buying shitloads of Ultimate Team Packs and having like unboxing videos with that. And I feel like other games kind of saw that and were like, right, that sounds great. We'll, we'll have a piece of that. And th- that's their version of it. And so it's kind of existed for years. And let me tell you, Dave, that as you well know, if you play FIFA and you invest a vast amount of money in some ultimate team packs, you immediately have a gigantic advantage over another ultimate team player who's Uh, opened their complimentary 10 bronze packs and is playing, you know, like Adebayo Akinfenwa up front with like, you know, I don't know, Vinicius from Apoel Nicosia (laughs) and trying to get a win. I I will tell you right now, Jack, that if anyone ever, anyone in my friends list ever sees me online playing FIFA in Ultimate Team, know that I am exclusively there for the trophies because that kind of bullshit is why I don't play Ultimate Team at all. I don't tangle with it unless I'm trying to get the platinum in FIFA and I have to knock off a couple of uh, trophies with the kind of like, okay, win 10 matches or something like that in Ultimate Team. Um, yeah, it's it's a pile of bullshit. But anyway, moving on. Uh, Nintendo, the comeback kids of 2017. Uh, what a couple of news stories we have here. So firstly, Super Mario Odyssey, 
went on sale last Friday. In the first three days on sale, Super Mario Odyssey sold two million copies. Which Not is bad. It is outrageous. Um, and also, a friend of the show, Gar Kidney, at Gar Kidney on Twitter, uh, pointed out as well today that uh, kind of month on month sales since uh, Mario Odyssey launched last Friday, Switch sales have quadrupled. Wow, really? <laughs> Which is absolutely ridiculous. Like, obviously, it'll kind of it'll even out eventually. But uh, what's well, the season, Dave? You've got to say that they're exactly. going to probably look at two or three months of pretty goddamn solid uh, sales, right? Uh huh. Like you, when you can go right, okay, for you know, while stocks last for about four hundred euro, uh, if you get a bundle of them, get the second game separately, you can get yourself the hot new console and in Mario and Zelda, two of the best games of the last 10 years or more. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, just in that handy-dandy little package. And like like I said, it's such a cool piece of kit as well. Um, that, it yeah, really it... is. Like, you don't want to sound, like, too self-impressed with, like, all the, actually having a Switch and the tech that comes with it. But it's yeah. kind of hard not to love it, right? Yeah, like, I, my cousins were over today. We were talking about this on, on the air. My cousins, they're aged um, 8, 11, and 13. And in the course of the few hours that they were over here, they played the Switch in TV mode. They played it in handheld mode. They played it in tabletop mode. They played it with the Joy-Cons. They played it with the Pro Controller. They played, They used motion controls. Like, it's, there are so many different, like, bells and whistles on the thing that somehow aren't terrible. Um, it's just, it's, it's incredible, the year they're having. And as well, like, it kind of, bundled up in this story is the fact that the the SNES classic which was what about a month ago now uh, has also sold 2 million units and they are going to they're going to continue selling that through 2018 as they previously announced and they're also going to uh, I think didn't they say there was going to be a limited re-release of the NES classic as well yeah Um, I think so so and you know that they've put all of the um like the necessary uh, patents and stuff in for a mini N64 as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's, um, we're coming into Christmas now, so we'll have Black Friday and, and Christmas coming up. It's it's going to be a good rest of the year for Nintendo, which leads into this next story, which is, I, I think, uh, like, I know it did badly, but this is still an astonishing statistic. It took just six months for the Switch to reach half of the Wii U's lifetime sales. 3.6 million in two months they sold. Wow. Don't you think the Wii U now, in reflection, just feels like a few-year-long, very expensive tech demo for what the Switch is? A lot lot of people have said that in hindsight. It was that we couldn't have gotten to the Switch without the Wii U, which was kind of like them trying some shit out and figuring out what didn't work. Um, it, it's incredible. They're ex- they're expecting that by the end of the financial year, which is the start of March, so it's only a few months away, they will have sold more switches than they ever did Wii U's. That is crazy. <laughs> In one year. That, yeah. Like, How long was the Wii U cycle? Was it three, four years? Uh, it might have been slightly more than four years. I can't remember. Um, I will. I will have a look. Um, it just but, wasn't. I don't know. If there wasn't the same interest, or because well, the, the Wii U launched with what it had. New Super Mario Brothers U was the 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 only real first party game. Um, it had 
Mass Effect 3 after it had already come out on everything else before it had a, sort of a version of Arkham City um, and some like it was really like even the launch of that thing was terrible the marketing around the Wii U telling you why it was different from the the Wii everything about it was so god um, it was November 2012 that thing came out so it had about a uh, four four years and a few months uh, of a life cycle before they kill the dead yeah um, which i mean fair enough but you're spot on like <laughs> they didn't mess around with this time they're like here we've got this new thing oh and by the way zelda yeah and then um, everyone's like okay then i'm gonna spend 250 300 pounds so i can play zelda and they really did yeah um listen to this now some of the they broke it down into some of the games in this report as well splatoon 2 has sold 3.61 million units uh, Jeez, Leg- really splatoon 2 sold that many oh yeah. my goodness legend of zelda is standing at a staggering 4.7 million yeah not shocked there uh well sure there was there was that great statistic that for the first i think two months that the switch was on sale there were more copies of Zelda sold than there were Switches because there was people who couldn't get their hands on the Nintendo Switch because it was sold out all the time who were buying Zelda in anticipation for a day where they might sometime get the Switch. That is very (laughs) weird. (laughs) Um, We have, yeah, 4.7 million units. uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which, by the way, again, a deluxe version of a game that had already come out sold 4.42 million units. That's because no fucker played it because no one had a Wii U. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, 1-2 Switch sold a pretty respectable 1.37 million units for what that game was. And the criminally underrated ARMS sold 1.35 million units. In that same, in uh, the latest financial quarter, they sold 5.1 million Amiibos uh, and 2.8 million amiibo cards uh, they recorded sales of 374 billion yen which is about 2.5 billion pounds in the last quarter which is an increase of 173 percent year on year that is pretty goddamn impressive so yeah they, nintendo are back yeah, then are they they, they seem to be yeah their quarterly profit not annual profit their quarterly profit is 334 million pounds sterling I would be very self-satisfied if I was an executive at Nintendo at the moment. Especially but, considering the body blows they'd been taking for the last several years. But Dave, now they've just got to not fuck it up, man. They've yeah, got yeah, literally the everyone's uh, everyone's affection and attention. Yeah. And those, like, you can usually have one or the other. You'll have, like, a hardcore base of affection or you'll have everyone's attention, but no yeah. one really cares, whereas they've got both right now. Oh, yeah. please don't mess it up, Nintendo. Next, next year you've got what? We've got, we know Yoshi is coming. We know Kirby is coming. Um, people There's sus- a Pokemon game at some point. Yeah, that's kind of a nebulous, we're, we're not sure, much as kind of Metroid Prime 4 as well as in that nebulous, we don't know. Uh, people are suspecting any Nintendo Direct now, they're going to announce that the Wii U version of Smash Brothers is getting a deluxe version as well. That's just going to plug just in a gap. To f- yeah, they just need to fucking do it because it's yeah. very, very easy to do that 
for them. Yeah. Add a few more Harry. characters. Yeah, add a few more characters, a few more levels. Yeah. Even if they just, just include, like, there was a whole load of DLC characters for that original one, like Cloud and Bayonetta and Ryu. And if they just have those guys in as standard in this, like they did with Mario Kart, where Mario Kart just had all the stuff uh, from the DLC packs in, that'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah. Presumably, at some point, we'll get a, an Animal Crossing game, a, a a Pikmin game. You know, there's there's plenty more. Like Nintendo, have uh, I think you could fairly say a robust roster of first party stuff coming out. And the Indies have also. This is one of my favorite things about the Switch is that the Indies have really embraced that console. Um, there was like someone was pointing out there was one four day window. Uh, I think it was the, the four days in the build-up to Mario coming out on Friday where nine games came out on the Switch. That's, it, it's crazy. Like, it's dizzying, the amount of... Because if you go into the Switch game market, like, Mario Odyssey was their 200th game, wasn't it, I think? That's, that's They came out in March, that console. Yeah. It's wild. Like, And we've got... Like, Rocket League is coming in December, which is, you know... Oh, dude. I can't even express how excited i am to be able to play rocket league like just yeah. you know sat in a in my cafe in london yeah Dude, like doom and wolfenstein are coming to that as well don't forget oh you know like it's really like they they are riding high at the moment and i'm you know delighted for them don't um, fuck it up lads please please don't mess this up for us i know right um one quick thing i want to say that i did this is kind of like I say breaking news like it's huge news but uh, EA this evening uh, teased that uh, Friday they're going to reveal a UFC 3 um, so that that UFC 2 was pretty good so you know for yeah, people who like that I mean who's going to be on it that hasn't either retired or been suspended or isn't Conor McGregor uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme I'm just going by the 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 trend of they had Bruce Lee in the first one then Mike Tyson in the last one so Jean-Claude Van Damme is where we're going I but think specifically specifically Jean-Claude Van Damme from Bloodsport as, as specifically Fred Durst from the uh, <laughs> hot dog flavor water chocolate starfish era <laughs> hey listen here gold cobra now that that was a piece of art dave uh jack the final news story of this week before we go to the book club i'm just gonna just gonna sit back here uh some news came out of a football manager this week yeah interesting <laughs> i <laughs> so uh, do you know what i was uh, first of all to just set the scene here um there's in the in the new game you know, you have your kind of news, like, inbox, basically, that kind of keeps you up to date. Much like a Sky Sports news feed with everything that's going on in your virtual football world. Uh, and now in there is the option for players to come out as gay. Um, and for this to kind of be a media thing and, you know, it kind of be treated maybe with a bit of reverence or whatever. And I, I don't know, like, whether there'll be any effect in in game on on like how they're treated by anybody or whether it's just a factual like oh by the way i'm gay uh and that's kind of it so like i don't know what effect that will have on gameplay uh number one really disappointed that only regen players can come out as gay like i would love to see just like you know somebody that you just you 
like pretty much wouldn't expect is just if there just, was just like, like a random the element that it was gonna happen phil bardsley comes out as gay <laughs> lee caramel yeah exactly something where you just wouldn't in a million years kind of expect it um yeah. so it's only regen players and number two and this is where i'm gonna let you take over the fucking reactions to this christ just uh so people are clear uh that's a cool thing is the only acceptable reaction to this (laughs) or no the other the other acceptable reaction is that's pretty funny because it is pretty funny that now football manager is so in depth that it's putting so potential social um, Play, issues. lifestyle choices like Brexit being in it yeah. last year. Yeah. I mean, I Pre- like there to be a virtual Garth Crooks on there moaning about players' haircuts. <laughs> like, you know, all of a sudden you get a notification like Paul Pogba has dyed his hair this colour and it's got on the radar of like the angry guy that picks Team of the Week on bbc.co.uk. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I said, kind of accepting this or thinking it's funny or like at least thinking it's remarkable that it took 2018 for this to happen. Although if you're a keen follower of football, uh, you'll know that this kind of stuff is uh unfortunately you know behind the times uh david took it it, look this is definitely it i mean and i don't want to sound like dismissive but it's it's cool that they've done this but it isn't hugely necessary to have in the game it's just a this is a brilliant heads up idea to put something like this in there to maybe normalize it to a few people that kind of don't necessarily have that you know open worldview of, of mm. what sexuality yeah, is in the it's, 21st it's not, century it's, it's not because it will affect the game in any way but it's it's maybe to go like maybe start a conversation in a pub or two going yeah you know like this is cool that they've done this you not know. that people that play Football Manager have time to go to pubs because it consumes well, they can br- their well, life. They, they can bring their laptops with them, Ian McIntosh, though. But, uh... Uh, exactly. Ian McIntosh is the only exception. <laughs> and I've never actually seen Ian McIntosh, so I just assume he has a laptop fused to his hand and is constantly playing Football Manager. The, but yeah, that, uh, the other acceptable reaction for me as well, um, and I don't know, it's it depends on the tone of it, but kind of who cares is also an acceptable yeah, yeah, reaction because, because like, who to, cares to people, about the news like what yeah. why would you why would this bother you like yeah, you just people, like oh cool yeah. who cares yeah yeah who cares in a kind of like it is perfectly normal and reasonable for somebody to be gay sort yeah. of way or, or who rather cares than, i don't play than, this game <laughs> i don't care yeah it's not an i don't care you know uh who they're into sort of thing it's a, like i don't care because to me this is normal sort of thing yeah. um but yeah, so <laughs> that is not the reaction of a lot of people on the internet. Kel surprise. Um, and I'm going to read here from a, an article on videogamer.com from the excellent Alice Bell. And the, uh, the, the title of the article is The Most Your Da Responses to Football Manager Having Gay Footballers in it. Tee hee hee. Yeah. It was just spotted that Football Manager 2018 features a chance for players to come out as gay. This applies only to new-gen players, the fake footballers who cycle into the game each year as the youth intake of football, uh, so that the game isn't digitally outing any real-life players who may or may not be gay. A player coming out doesn't affect their success on the pitch, but it does boost the merch sales a bit, in line with what the dev team observed happening ah, in real life, which is uh, a nice bit of... A nice, 
little bit of uh, real life research done there so far so cool except of course not an army of terrible daz has woken from their slumber a mid-morning nap born of eating an entire multi-pack of mccoy's crisps and falling asleep in front of loose women which our pam insists on putting on and they've taken exception to this in particular they're they're i'm not homophobic i'm just saying i don't want my kids exposed to it rhetoric they've succeeded mightily in proving exactly why this sort of thing needs to be in games in the first place observe the homophobia of your dad and i'm not gonna go like reading through this whole thing but um there are a bunch of salty responses to this that just like you just shake your head that like it in some ways like it's like that line Martin Sheen has in the West Wing. Is it possible to be surprised and entirely not surprised all at once? You know, <laughs> yeah. That, like in a lot of ways, because I, like it's so normalized to me, and because it's so not a trivial thing for people to be gay to me, because you know, you do you. That it still sometimes rattles me when people have a problem with it, but then at the same time, with the garbage fire this world is. I'm also not surprised at all. Um, I know. I, I, I agree with you, though, because you read other people's opinions on stuff, and it just, it sometimes it is shocking, like, how just, I don't know, abrasive people can be about stuff like this. And you, yeah. you just think, again, it comes back to who cares? Like, yeah. just let people just be themselves. You do you. It's, it's mm. spot on, mate, but it's just, I don't why are you so angry about yeah. this there's so many worse things that are happening to so be angry about you should look this article up on videogamer.com just oh, to shake it. your head just to, well not you i mean like the people listening but everybody to, yeah. to, to shake their heads at this wait this has been recorded <laughs> yeah i know right uh and to uh catch a look at a cameo from one mark robinson giving grief to one of the da army Oh, I thought um, he was one of the Da Army. No, no he, he is a Da in a lot of ways, but not in that very specific way. Uh, someone who had tweeted at BBC Sport, who had broken the news, saying, I feel like it'll be wrong to be straight soon. Uh, Mark uh, responded quite accurately, nah, it's just wrong to be homophobic, uh, which I think is a Sick nice note burn. to leave this on. Um, so yeah, that's going to do the news for this week. And we are going to move now to the Link the Casper Club, where we talk about uh, an important game from the past that we think you should play if you haven't already or should revisit it if it's been a while uh, and this week it was Jack's turn to pick the game and we are going to talk about Pokemon Gold and Silver
Pokemon Gold version and Silver version are the second installments of the Pokemon series of role-playing video games developed by Game Freak and published by Nintendo for the Game Boy Color. They were released in Japan in 1999, Australia and North America in 2000, and Europe in 2001. Pokemon Crystal, a special edition, was released roughly a year later in each region. In 2009, Nintendo remade Gold and Silver for the Nintendo DS as Heart Gold and Soul Silver. The game introduces 100 new species of Pokemon and follow the progress of the central character whose name the player may choose in his quest to master Pokemon battling. Both games are independent of each other but feature largely the same plot and while both can be played separately it is necessary to trade between them and their backward compatible predecessors in order to fully complete the game's Pokedexes. The Johto saga of the Pokemon anime is based on the new region and introduced in the games. Jack it's the first time on this show as you pointed out to me when you were doing the research trying to figure out what we haven't done yet the first time that we've done a pokemon game uh on the book club and we have picked gen 2 um and it may be unbeknownst to you that gen 2 might well be my favorite gen of pokemon um but we kind of avoided gen 1 because it would be a little bit unfair to mark robinson on assignment uh for him not to be able to weigh in on this so uh talk to me about your where you hopped on maybe broadly with the pokemon franchise at first and then specifically gold and silver so it was the uh the i don't know when the red and blue came out exactly in the calendar year but i think we'll find out for you as you're talking yeah it was it was that christmas where I, I'd say maybe half of every like kid that I knew got a Game Boy Color if they didn't already have one, and either blue or red, or yeah. blue and red if your parents were super fucking rich uh, I, for Christmas. I, 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 I got blue. Yeah, I got blue as well, which what, what, just wait, goes to show. What color Game Boy Color? I had like a purpley see-through one. Oh yeah, I like that. That was my second favorite one. I went with the turquoise one. Yeah, the turquoise one was cool as well. But yeah, I unfortunately, I didn't have an awful lot of control over what my parents got me. Yeah. A, because there weren't a lot of Game Boy Colors available from the Argos or wherever they got that at the time. They, they informed me. They told me about having to fight to get this for me. So yeah. they were like, you're going to bloody enjoy this. And I think I enjoyed it too much because we went around my aunt and uncles for Christmas when Red Blue came out. And any moment where I wasn't shoving Christmas food into my mouth, I was playing pokemon yeah um so that's kind of where i stepped on with the series and you know what red and blue they are what they are they are fantastic games they're a fantastic jump off point but dave but dave gold and silver came out and they were everything that red and blue were but they just improved everything about the game it was like a, a kind of souped up version of it and at the same time had a completely new story and a completely new location it was just everything that you wanted from it and it was right at the height of pokemon kind of frenzy in this country you know the anime was on saturday morning tv with like ant and deck and cat Dealey back in the day and then you had like the, the trading card game it was, on, was, um, was it at, effing at for, huge at, at for, no was it not sky one yeah, it was on Sky One, but it was also it was on ITV as well. Oh, I I remember them doing the Pokemon skits, but I don't remember it actually being on ITV. Ah, uh, maybe I misremembered that. Anyway, it was on and it was huge, right? <laughs> Everybody watched that, and like the first Pokemon movie came out, and 
that was like massive and oh, it was just it was right at the height of that and you had red yeah. and blue and, and everybody loved these games and then they dropped gold and silver and it felt like a long wait maybe it was a two-year wait to gold and silver uh, so the the european release of actually you got a the uk got uh pokemon red and blue uh three months or nearly four months before all the rest of europe so uh, it came out in the uk june 10th 1999 whereas the rest of the eu got it on october 5th um 1999 and then uh one year later uh it was oh it was april 6 2001 for eu that doesn't feel right to me uh, i yeah i don't remember because it was kind of that time in my life dave where i was relying on my parents to buy it for me because i would have yeah. been like 13 years old when that happened like i because i'm i got that at christmas time and i don't remember it being out that long when i got it at christmas yeah that's, that, that's kind of how i me. felt about red and blue like i felt like they did come out in that october november time that pokemon games usually come out yeah proximity to christmas anyway yeah. uh, misremembering release yeah, dates yeah, yeah. aside like you waited quite a while for these games and dave they were just absolutely everything that i wanted them to be mm-hmm. they were just so fantastic and all of the new features that that were into the games that just upgraded it in every possible fashion yeah like one of the things i find really interesting when i was going back and and looking through some some facts kind of like you did last week very coolly for metal gear solid 3 (laughs) was that game freak actually thought this was the kind of curtain call for the pokemon game they thought right this is the last time that we are ever going to be making a Pokemon game. So they threw their absolute fucking kitchen sink into these games. Like, they just put in all of the things that kind of cropped up around Red and Blue. Like, I mean, obviously there's still limitations because it's it's only a Game Boy Color game, but they just, they they really shot for it here, Dave. Uh, Like, what was your memory of of playing these games for the first time and kind of your relationship with them? Uh, so again, yeah, I fell in love with the the anime when it started airing on Sky One. Um, just became just rapidly obsessed with it, and I, I'll touch on it in more detail when I when we talk about Red and Blue someday down the road. But I remember like so excited for Red and Blue to come out that before Christmas, like with the game drop pot in October, I bought the strategy guide and had pretty much memorized the fucking thing before the game even came out. Um, I had the poster already on the wall before that Christmas, ready to tick off my 150 Pokemon when I caught them. You know, I was reading Nintendo Official Magazine every month to kind of get in on them. Um, so by the time Gold and Silver come around, I was just enraptured, you know. Um, and I was so ready for a new and bigger Pokemon adventure because it's safe to say by the time Gold and Silver came out, I had well worn that Pokemon Blue cartridge of mine. Um, and then yeah like you said Gold and Silver comes out and immediately you're just hit with the punch of like this is a new region new professor also another name themed around wood 
but moving on you know <laughs> uh, here's new starters and instead of like all being kind of loosely reptile based these are kind of like something a little bit different in a couple of the cases um the excitement for me like around the new pokemon as well yeah. i remember seeing so like in the anime like that first episode he sees um he sees ho doesn't he yeah. at the end like like a shimmery golden ho yeah, and he's and like they, and they never kind of like they never tag up on it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then like the, the anime like it's brilliant marketing like so like yeah. obviously this game had been out in japan for a while but like you start things start creeping into the anime like togepi yeah, yeah yeah um togepi starts coming into it there's different things like that where periodically Marl. you'll see yeah you'll see a glimpse of and i remember Marl the pokemon like being there, there were so many rumors around this kind of blue version of Pikachu. Pika blue, wasn't Pika it? Blue, yeah, yeah, while. yeah. I remember that that being talked about around the schoolyard for quite some time, and people drawing pictures of it in their copies and shit like that in school. But uh, so you've got the new starter, so you know this is a new world of Pokemon. This is a new region. You come out and you're immediately hit with. So you've got the your your cell phone and your backpack. So the the kind of like the the inventory system and and how you communicate with NPCs in the world has fundamentally changed. Uh, and then as well, I think the one like apart from the like it's also in beautiful levels of color for a game boy color like the, the the original one was a game boy game that had like reasonably nice shading for the time if you if you were playing it on a game boy color the, the the red and blue but when you got gold and silver the games that were built from the ground up for the game boy color oh boy the bloom in that game was something else to behold and it um, was the the most noticeable thing for me was like the back of your pokemon sprite like in in red and blue, the back of your Pokemon sprite more often than not looked like a jar, like a garbled mess of nonsense pixels. Whereas yeah. in this game, it looked like an in color, actually like as close as yeah. you can get to portraying 3D without being yeah. 3D. And, and as well, like a lot of them, because there was a lot of sprites that uh, some of, I, I really like some of the drawing of the sprites in red and blue because they're they're distinct from what the the anime versions of those Pokemon are. But at the same time, like it's really going day to night, like these look exactly like the Pokemon in the anime which at that age is exactly what I wanted like I remember I think we've talked about uh, on this show like my favourite Pokemon are the the bro trio of Ghastly Haunter and Gengar I love those guys just <laughs> fucking around in Lavender Dam like I love those guys but um, Ghastly his sprite in the first Pokemon game is trash yeah uh, but him and, and everybody else that shows up, their their versions of the sprites in Gold and Silver was so good. And then the the other one, and I'll kind of leave you to talk uh, for a while now. The other thing that really hit me uh, and, and hits you pretty quickly in this game, and something that blew my tiny little fucking mind that a Game Boy game was doing this in this in that particular time period, a day night cycle. Oh yeah, I mean, I've got a list of of things. I, I actually made bullet points here to talk about, Dave. And the you're, day you're, night... you're, you're exactly like me last week for Snake Eater. I had a, like a Word doc open as we were talking last week. Yeah, I've got an iPad here to just be that much of a smug Apple wanker. <laughs> but I, uh, the day night cycle, actually based on the the console time that you've got set into your Game Boy as well. Like, it, it, you set it up at the start and it knows what time it is. So if you're, you know, you're thinking to yourself, oh, I want to catch, like, a, a hoot hoot, you can't actually 
catch it until it's like night so you get home and you like wait for it to get dark or get to seven o'clock or whatever and you're like right i can go straight out on this um on this first path because you know the initial pokemon that you can catch is like a pidgey and a centret which is a new pokemon as well but just knowing that there's like this cool like, like dark though, owl thing straight away centret, that you can get your teeth well, into yeah even though centret was kind of crap i still loved the 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 art style around yeah i love the little circle like it it was a very you know when something just is pleasing on the eye it's yeah. like the circle on the belly versus and, the circular shape kind of like a, the polywag effect yeah there's a lot of that in this game where there are just like there are pokemon that m- may be kind of useless but they look cool you know yeah um, definitely like this is the the additional hundred pokemon in this game like i love so many of them in this in the way that i love the original 150 one even like Mm -hmm. uh, they're just you know things like even things you wouldn't necessarily expect to be something that you would even use like mill tank like you're not gonna use a mill tank probably even though the first boss battle features a pretty like or gym battle rather features a pretty difficult to take down mill tank yeah if you're not ready for it there's there's just stuff like that and you're like ah like mareep you know the electric electric sheep I mean, yeah. Philip K. Dick must have had a raging erection, if, <laughs> even if he was dead at some point. Like about this electric sheep here, that's that's really cool all of a sudden, and just the the addition of of the day night cycle and and stuff. I loved. Um, Dave introduced the to me the thing that kind of keeps the meta game and the competitive battling element of Pokemon alive and and is what it is today is because this was the first game where you could breed pokemon so they yeah. had the gendered pokemon um, the, unless the, it was the, like a the, voltorb or the, something the, the honest trailer for pokemon gold and silver which i had watched earlier on today while i was waiting for you to come on a lion and uh, they're talking about it's like it's not it's not just enough that you capture these pokemon against their will and make them fight for you now you have to make them fuck <laughs> yeah and and ditto goes from being uh, oh ditto cool i'll catch that and put it in my box and like never ever consider its existence again yeah. to, to the literally the, the kingmaker <laughs> it is the most important element of any yeah. breeding cycle is to make sure that you have a ditto um, and then in later games, a ditto that had good IVs uh, before I get too nerdy about it. And that was another thing I liked about this game as well, Dave, is I, I'm a big, like, stats nerd. I'm an analyst by profession, and I, you know, I'm super into all of that. So I do love all of the elements that have come in. I, yeah, the IVs and EVs and, you know, different stats and strengths and weaknesses and all that sort of thing. But the simplicity of this game with that kind of stuff, yes, there was a sort of proto version of EVs that you kind of couldn't see, but you didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. You just went and you just fought. And like they brought in the new typings as well. So I don't know if you remember in Red and Blue, Dave, but if you had like an Alakazam or something, like you would just fucking destroy everything because yeah. Psychic was crazy yeah. overpowered. G- g- ghost and Psychic type, like if you had a, a Ghost and a Psychic type in your party, you were just going to mince people. Yeah, exactly. The only thing Psychic was weak to in the original games, Dave, was Bug. Yeah. Like, seriously, who's going to train up like a, a Bug Venomoth. Pokemon? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to get my fucking 
Butterfree to try and take down this Alakazam. No thanks, mate. That is not happening. But yeah, they had the dark type in there, and there were some really cool dark type Pokemon in this game. You know? Yeah, so, talking about yeah, so the two new types that come in, Steel type and Dark type. Um, it's always in terms of balancing when they've added types because they'd later go on to add like Fairy type and uh, things like that. Um, it's like sixty-two thousand types in the game yeah. now. Uh, especially when like it got to the point where you could you could have two types like a secondary type that your pokemon was it started to get very very complicated but you always worry that it's going to affect the delicate balancing act of this type is good against this when you just throw in a couple of types what what were your initial impressions and, and how do you feel now about the, the steel and dark type you said you'd love the dark type in particular I love the dark type because it gave you a legitimate and viable competitive edge against psychic Pokemon because if you haven't really trained for like a psychic gym battle or the psychic element of the Elite Four in the original game, you could get absolutely laid waste to. And immediately here, you know, you have the dark moves and you know that you've got a little bit of a, a, a... kind of cushion to fight back like especially if you you know you're battling against somebody and they've got like six alakazams or like a couple of alakazams and a mewtwo or something and you're like oh i mean just just get the fuck out of here like there's no chance in hell that i'm gonna beat this person whereas straight away in the back pocket even like move like bite in the game bite counts as a dark move so something that you'd learn relatively early in the cycle of of um like a dark type pokemon or a pokemon that has dark as a secondary type because secondary types were in this game but they weren't overtly complicated really mm. and the typings matched and kind of made sense like there wasn't like a fire bug pokemon or like a you know like a fucking psychic rock pokemon or anything where you just yeah. think what the hell mixture of things is this you know like it, everything kind of made sense uh, and steel was also a really good addition as well because steel was like a, a good way to, to balance out a lot of other types because it was a very defensive type so in yeah. the original game you know if you wanted a defensive pokemon like you kind of had chancy and that was pretty much it like and it was a normal type so you know it was weak to to fight in and stuff like that Whereas here, you know, you've got the steel type. Again, yes, you know, it's weak to fight him, but then it has specific moves like that you can use against other things that are going to highlight different strengths and weaknesses. So, Mm. And it also gave us Steelix, which to me is like one of the, maybe not the most useful, because again, who the fuck uses the Steelix if you're in a competitive battle, (laughs) but that is one of the coolest, like, take an original Pokemon and then just do something else to it. Uh, I remember my mind was absolutely fucking blown the first time I saw a Steelix. I was like, what the hell is that thing? That looks like an insane, like, Japanese mecha onyx, and that's pretty much what it it was. In some ways, it's taking, like, uh, two of the things the Pokemon series is known for, and that's, like, taking a kind of, like, a, 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 a Pokemon whose genesis is clearly very based on, like, something that you would see uh like in jurassic park like a dinosaur kind of thing and then doing something mad with it (laughs) you know what i mean yeah like this looks like a giant kind of fossilized skeleton but it's made of fucking metal 
Exactly. It, in, and it is in indeed every metal. Yes, in every definite, every sense of the word, it is a metal Pokemon. Yeah, like Lars Ulrich would use a Steelix if he was going to choose a Pokemon. Now, um, Jack, before we kind of like, I, I, I want to, after this, get to the kind of like the, the, uh, the, the final battle and the post game. But um, your thoughts on the, the, the eight gyms in this new region relative to the, the first game? Um, do you think they were, were they more challenging for you? Do you remember this as being a bigger challenge than the first Pokemon, uh, than Red and Blue? Or what, what did you as think said, about them? As I say, I think that initial gym um, where you you go up against that mill tank and it just keeps using rollout. And like rollout is a move that kind of gradually multiplies and becomes stronger the more you use it. I feel like that's a little bit of a lesson straight away. So like the... <laughs> it kind of kept it. Pokemon. <laughs> yeah a little bit i mean obviously like if you play the the original pokemon two out of the three pokemon that you choose as starters in the sense of squirtle and bulbasaur are both very strong against brock's rock type pokemon in the first gym so like unless you're playing the the kind of pikachu version you have an immediate advantage and you also happen to go through a forest which is like very heavy like to say wow if you catch some of these they could be very useful in the near future in the hint (laughs) so yeah i I think that first gym like is a, a learning curve for me straight away where i was like right that is pretty bloody strong so if you haven't got your shit together for the first gym but then after that i kind of feel like it was you know it it is what it is really with pokemon gyms like i'm quite a trainee person uh in in the sense that i i tend to do spend like that extra 20 minutes to half an hour maybe searching something out to to catch it maybe i'm like i I looked up say oh you know this your cyndaquil learns this move at level whatever i will sit there for another 20 minutes you're the guy who would make repeated visits to the safari zone and not give up immediately Oh, yeah, like, if I wanted that Chansey or that Taurus or something in the Safari Zone in, in, in Red and Blue, I'd be fucking getting that. I wouldn't care how long it would take. That That's kind of me. So I, I think, as I say, the only one that really stands out as, like, what the fuck is that initial fight? Is it Cindy? I can't remember her name, but the first gym uh, in, in Pokemon Gold and Silver. But, yeah, her mill tank annoyed me. But, yeah, the gyms... I just, the, the, I mean, I don't know if you wanted to get to it in the sense that you were going to talk about this uh, straight away or whether you were going to get to it eventually. But so you beat the gyms, and, yeah, and it's kind of the same. This is kind of where I wanted to lead as we as we wrap up things here. But yeah, this yeah. this I remember right. So I had no idea that this was going to happen. No, neither did I. And everyone I've ever spoken to has been like, I was fucking gobsmacked that this was a thing. Because <laughs> yeah. this is kind of pre-wired internet usage and, and reporting on games. Like, yeah. you don't go online to, like, Eurogamer or IGN or whatever yeah. website to look up the video game news. And, it, right. you know, it'd be, like, revealed, like, the extra bit of Pokemon Gold Silver yeah. you didn't see coming. Like, and then like, it fucking ruins it for you. Do, do you remember earlier in the show I said, I can't remember the last in reference to Mario Odyssey, I can't remember the last time that what happens in the immediate aftermath of completing a game has ever made me more want to continue playing the game. Yeah. This game. <laughs> yeah. So you beat your eight gyms and you beat your like Elite Four equivalent and then they're like, oh, by the way, here's this bullet train 
And this bullet train takes you back to your original region because this is the new region of Johto. And it's like, we're going back to Kanto. And then you can do all eight gyms in Kanto as well. So you've basically yeah. got two whole games in this one game. Well, then you can go back. You, you can see the world, what it's like two or three years later after you've gone yeah. through the game. And, like, and... the kind of, like, it, just the the kind of, like, the after effects that your campaign in Red and Blue had. Yeah. And, like, the best of the best of all, the climactic battle, then, is against you, your character from the first game. And yeah. it's just, Who, like... Who's mute. <laughs> and at the top, yeah. literally, it couldn't be... If you think about it for a second, it couldn't be cheesier. But you is, like, this zen, sage-like figure at the top of a fucking mountain yeah, <laughs> in the yeah. middle of nowhere who doesn't speak but immediately challenges you to an ultimate battle to the yeah. death at this point like just like bits of brain were falling out of my nose that's how badly it was blown like yeah and and he has like doesn't he have like uh he has like the ultimate pikachu as well but he's got like the yeah. charizard the blastoise the venusaur yeah he's I got think... all the starters and Alakazam and maybe a Snorlax if, if my, my memory serves me right and like all of the big like kind of pivotal captures from the first game in, and he's still got them and I just I found it so goddamn cool man to just go back like there's a small scene and I can't remember which Grand Theft Auto it is I, I think it's San Andreas but you, you probably remember a bit better than me Dave where you get where you to go, go back to to liberty city yeah it's it's in, like, san, Andre it's in san andreas yeah it is in san andreas right because you fly the jet don't you and it takes forever to get there and then all of uh -huh. a sudden you're back and, and you do a liberty city mission and i'm just like oh this blows my mind how amazing would it be to just be able to go out of the restaurant where whatever it is happening takes place and then go back and like walk through liberty city since you've been you know terrorizing it with claude a few years ago and this game does exactly that it gives you the whole other first game like as just like oh yeah by the way here it is and that is just so so cool man i i, I loved it yeah it's it really is like I, I i i struggle genuinely in kind of wrapping this up now like i I struggle to I've got think. two more points before you want to wrap oh, yeah, it up yeah. well, uh, very I'll do quickly. I'll, I'll do mine and then I'll, I'll shoot to you and then uh, I'll, I'll give you your opportunity to do the elevator pitch. But my, my kind of closing thought on this before I hand off to you is that I genuinely struggle to think in the, the 20 odd years I've been playing video games, a sequel that has hit harder than this in terms of just like, like you said at the very start, taking what everybody loved about the first one and just running with it and expanding it and changing it in the ways you wanted it to change but keeping the things you loved about the original so perfectly intact and, and just all over it's just an incredible sequel experience that's what you always want from a sequel is just this incredible expansive familiar but different experience exactly yeah it as i say it it really does play like when i heard that thing about they thought this was the last one it plays like that it plays like somebody has gone through every detail of this just to make it like the most fun and immersive experience that you could possibly have yeah as a fan you know i, I didn't bring it up earlier but it was a point i i made a mental note of to talk about with mario odyssey but so many times like online now i'll see people complaining about all oh, this that they've put this in for fan service 
Like, what the fuck is wrong with fan service? If you have a, a massive audience of a particular game and they all like something, an aspect of it that you feel like you can use and then maybe improve or slightly change to, to, to get people to want to purchase or consume your product and keep them happy what is wrong with that what yeah. is wrong with playing to an audience and that is exactly what pokemon did here to yeah. to, to a perfection in my mind uh yeah so do you have any any final thoughts before we start to wrap up then so yeah, yeah there was just two more here. two more things that i kind of wanted to mention uh one of them you touched on really super briefly and it's the poker gear um, yeah man you know you, you've got like everything set up in such a much more logical fashion like in the old game you'd have like a fucking bicycle next to your master ball next to like a an iron and next to like a rare candy and you'd be like oh this is really oh, and then like next to, me. next to tm58 and you're like fuck how am I gonna, you know, keep track of all this? And you'd have to constantly be in and out of the items, like the PC, Bill's PC, to put items in or whatever. So in this game, everything has a separate pocket. You got your Pokeballs, you got your medicines, you got your TMs and HMs, and it's just laid out so much better. And then the, and, craft, and the, the craft, sorry, related to that, the, the crafting of all the Pokeballs that can fill that slot is wild. Yep exactly when when you say like oh you can take a, a an apricorn to this guy and he'll make it into a like a fucking fast ball or a slow ball or a heavy ball or you're like what <laughs> they take pokeballs and just like crank them up t- to 11 to use the spinal tap phrase which i think is cool um the fact that you can then call back trainers once you get past i think seven gyms you can then just go and rematch trainers and they, yeah. you're not like you've already beaten during the game who'll give you their poker gear details and by the way you're not just facing them again you're facing them but like they've learned they've got stronger their pokemon have evolved you know there's a different challenge to it like there's a new reward and it's a way to kind of keep the meta game alive you know and keep training rather than bashing through the elite four time and time and time again to go and you know battle your mates or whatever there's there's different challenges different types of pokemon you can face which i think is cool uh, and they've got the two channels on there that if you play them out, like there's like a lure channel that brings Pokemon to you when you're in the grass, and then there's like a lullaby channel that keeps Pokemon away from you. Just little little stuff like that, you know, without using the repels and and, and things to bring Pokemon to you or keep Pokemon away. Uh, and Dave, it introduces via I think a pretty cool method, but doesn't really give you much of a kind of coloured in perspective as to what this is, um, excuse the pun, but shiny Pokemon are yeah. introduced in the form of the Red Gyarados because, yeah. uh, you know, Team Rocket, one of their plans, like they're like sending all these energy waves into all the Magikarp to try and get them to be angry and evolve into Gyarados because they want to farm the Gyarados for money, yeah. um, which, is, which is some fucking scam, by the way, let me tell you. I never would have <laughs> thought of that one. But yeah so you see like the red Gyarados and you think like maybe this is the angriest Gyarados but it is it's a shiny Gyarados Mm. and then you realise that there are these shiny Pokemon and they're like one in every 8,000 and it just gave kids another reason to just be in grass for like hours and hours and hours looking for one of these guys the the amount of times the amount of times I reloaded my save in that game to get both uh, the red Gyarados and pseudo auto as well yeah, was uh, just frankly upsetting. 
yeah, it's it's kind of not worth thinking about. But yeah. they had that, and then there was an even rarer occurrence than the shiny Pokemon, Dave. Do you know what this is? I, I, tell me and see if it jogs my memory. The Pokerus virus. Yes, I, I know of this. I never encountered this, but uh, I, I uh, one Mark Robinson has told me at length about this, but explain it to the, 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 the gentle listeners at home who may not have. So first of all, you've got a 1 in 8,000 chance of getting a shiny Pokemon, right? Pokerus yeah. virus Pokemon. And you can kind of see the difference straight away, so you know that Pokemon is shiny. Okay, this has got my attention. I need to catch this. The Pokerus virus... If you catch a Pokemon with Pokemon Pokerus virus, like there is no, there's no way of knowing until you kind of got it in your inventory and then you click into it and you can see that it has the virus and you can go and talk to the professor about it and he explains it. But basically, what it does is it trains the uh, the EVs of your Pokemon to just double the speed. So when you're training your Pokemon, say like in, instead of getting like a one up on on speed or one up on attack, it will do it double it'll do like two on attack two on speed so like it's just like a way to hyper train your pokemon and all the other pokemon in your box if you put it in there or in the group can get infected with it as well and it benefits massively but to actually fucking just find a pokemon that has this (laughs) is like one in twenty thousand. and again it's another thing that's just in the game that nobody's gonna like tell you about or explain it to you. You uh, yeah, just they, they find don't it out for yourself. It, yeah, you just happen upon it or you hear a whisper, you know, that kind of thing. I, again, much like the roaming legendaries as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, are just... the legendary dogs the coolest legendary like because you know they have the legendary trios, don't they? They've got Articuno, yeah. Moltres, and Zapdos, and like those Regice, Reggie Rock. Regigigas, those things which are just frankly upsetting um and and i just the the dogs are so cool man they are the coolest uh, we're often on record as saying on this show and it is particularly relevant to this case that in fact dogs are good dogs are good and legendary dogs are even better my friend exactly yeah, that, that's about as much like nerd gushing as, yeah. as i've got left hit me with your elevator pitch friend Oh, uh, child of like 13 changes world with magical creatures that they capture inside red and white circles and train into magnificent beasts that can basically alter your entire life course and make you the most famous child in a tiny Japanese region with legendary dogs <laughs> <laughs> legendary good dogs excellent uh, that's going to do it for episode 89 of Link to the Cast want to thank Jack again for coming to me in my hour of need and helping me out hosting the show when Mark was working um, this get him out of that court case I know He's right not... I know <laughs> we'll see we'll wait and see we'll leave that cliffhanger for next week see what happens if he does get off we'll we'll celebrate by uh, letting him pick the game for next week um, this podcast is available on SoundCloud iTunes and most podcasting platforms just search for Link to the Cast subscribe to us there rate, review it all helps us with that search engine optimization uh, linktothecast.eu is the website where we post the show notes and the odd article that we do if you want to get in touch it's linktothecast at gmail.com or uh, you probably hear back from us quicker uh, on social media that's facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on twitter where we'll respond to you uh, much quicker than email uh, i'm going to read this out anyway 
I, I noticed very, very uh, uh, recently before I read this out that uh, Jack had changed this. But I am at Dave Royal IV and Mark is at Jack Lazell on Twitter. <laughs> which caught me big time as you were doing the elevator pitch I saw that and had to stifle a laugh um, <laughs> yeah. Mark is at Lithium Project as well as at Jack Lazell uh, we stream games sometimes over at twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast and archive them later on YouTube just search for link to the cast on there uh, our series are on hiatus at the moment but uh, you can check out all the archived content over on Anything, uh, anything new on that schedule, Dave? Any, any new additions to the YouTube channel that you noticed? There? Hold on. Ah, <laughs> uh, here we go. <laughs> uh, Monday is usually Mark on Mondays, but Tuesday I've noticed a difference. We have Jack versus Geography this week. Fucking flags, son. So you can check that out on YouTube.com. It's coming. Week. Just yep. stay Ivory, on Ivory by Coast and they're basically the same flag but upside down mind fucking blown uh, anyway that's going to do it for episode 89 of Link to the Cast I've been Dave Ryan the man aligned to me here has been Jack Lazell thank you very Yo. much Jack again for being on the show and we shall see you all again next week goodbye goodbye